It is Sunday, fun day as they say, for our second episode of 2021. It is January 10th. You're here with Chase and Josh from Factor Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh, and we're going to continue on this Hogwarts Express through the next portion of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Today, we are tackling chapters 22 through the end of chapter 28. Big stuff coming up. I wanted to give one more shout out uh, to us as a team. Chase and I, as you know, five days ago celebrated our one year anniversary of hosting Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Uh, January 5th, 2020 is when we started. Uh, five days ago was January 5th, 2021. So we're super excited for the second year of continuing to improve and get better. Doing this amazing podcast for all the lovely audience members out there, big and small. Great stuff, man. Yeah, we're in the thick of it now. Um, a lot of really cool stuff happens, especially in this episode that we're going to dive into. This is really the episode that people always talk about as far as whether the book and the film goes. This is really like the grown up Harry Potter now. Like, this is, you know, where you really see, you know, these characters are, are building relationships, um, really building relationships with people and going through you know, different emotional changes and that sort of thing. So it's going to be, you know, we're keeping this Hogwarts train rolling, man. And um, we're in the thick of it now, as we said last time. So, and and what's cool, uh, you know, we get another cool character. We get all these like kind of cool characters that pop up in these episodes we're doing that are in this book that we've seen from previous uh, episodes we done meaning meaning like books in the past so we're gonna see that here today which is cool moaning myrtle she's just a girl from this town <laughs> yeah good stuff <laughs> man so i'm stoked i say we get a malice in the chalice and i'll let you kick us off man it's the new year baby all right man hey new year cheers to you the audience us the host to improvements and opportunities and putting 2020 behind us whether it was a great year for you or a struggling year this mouse and the chalice goes out to the end of an era in the beginning of the new year (laughs) wasn't it that game of thrones episode last year we said it's the end of the world as we know it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And honestly, we could probably sing that for the last episode of Gobble of Fire, really. <laughs> we could probably. That's a, yeah. a lot of changes are about to happen once we get to the end of this monster book, right? Yeah. So, you know, we got a lot of stuff to cover detail wise. You know, we got uh, some great things. So, we're starting today on chapter 22, which is called The Unexpected Task. And so, what you were talking about, kind of going through the all the trials and tribulations of being a teenager not just these crazy conflicts that happen to the characters but also just the the stuff you don't think about like you know noticing the opposite gender for the first time building relationships outside of just you know friends and you know growing up realizing that they're uh, taking their big test that's going to kind of predict their future next year like th- like they're growing up before our eyes right so it's a great yeah. uh this is this episode is really great for that specifically. So we start at chapter twenty-two, the unexpected task, and we continue all the way through the conclusion of chapter twenty-eight, which is called the madness of Mister Crouch. A lot of amazing things happen in that chapter too. So 
We've got a lot of great things to cover. Do you think I should just go ahead and kick us off, starting some favorite moments? Do you have anything you want to add before we dive on in? Yeah, no, I think that's great. Uh, last thing I'll just say, I like that you brought that up, like as far as grow up with these characters, because this really, it is true. Like this is really the first series, I say for our generation, um, if you're know, if you a millennial or... I forgot what they call it, like the Gen Z like millennial, Gen Z like, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is really the first series where we did get to grow up with these characters. Like I still remember, you know, the books coming out. They came out like every two years or something like that. And then on top of that, I mean, even though you know, the movies, in my opinion, in your opinion as well, I've heard, uh, you know, we think they could have their improvements. But even from the movies' perspectives um you know like emma watson or daniel radcliffe or rupert grunt like um you really did grow up with these characters so it uh yeah it, hey we're keeping this in the words of um johnny cash this train keeps rolling <laughs> oh yeah hey that was a pretty decent so cash impersonation for people who don't express, see rolling off the rails man <laughs> another ride or die here and i'll let you kick us off Okay, awesome. So what we'll tackle, kind of the same sort of format we've been doing. Uh, we'll start with favorite moments. Then when we finish up with the favorite moments, we'll go into foreshadowed events, talk about the potential plot holes and discrepancies, and finish off with interesting facts, business as usual. Sounds like a plan. So I'll start us right off on page 386. The Yule Ball is mentioned. Now this can also be a foreshadow, but this is also a full circle moment. Do you guys remember back... Uh, in the beginning of this book when Mrs. Weasley had those dress robes for Ron and Ron kind of threw a fit about the dress robes and didn't really know why we needed them. Well, now we've got the uh, the whole Yule Ball. It's almost like trying to, uh, either whether you're talking about semi-formal, cotillion, or prom, you know, people got to find some dates for the dance. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, dance on, man. I had that there to start with. Uh, and then to going into three p page three eighty seven, it's funny that we're talking about getting your dance on because literally Harry Potter's words are, "I don't dance." And then Professor McGonagall says, "Oh yes, you do. You're a champion. You're required to dance. So I don't care what you'd say, and you are dancing there, Mister Potter. It is tradition. No, no, no. you haven't danced. <laughs> so traditionally, the cha- the champions and the partners open the ball. So. You know, that was pretty cool. Um, page 388, he even goes around thinking in his head, like, now that he's already completed the task, like, getting past the Hungarian horntail, he says, you know, he'd rather have another round with the dragon than ask a girl to the ball. Like, he's, like, so nervous, he'd rather go face that monster, aggressive dragon that took 30 wizards to take down than ask a girl out to a dance. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Page 391, they booked the Weird Sisters. It's a famous musical group, and my interesting facts are on the Weird Sisters at the end of this episode, so I'll leave that there. Last thing before uh, I turn it over to Chase is Professor Snape. It was described by Harry in his mind that Snape would no sooner let them play games in class than adopt Harry. So I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, I'll let you take it away uh, from your favorite moments. Yeah, man. Uh, the first one I had, you might have mentioned, because you hit the Yule um, the Yule ball really well, but um, yeah, Christmas Day at 8 p.m. I just think that's always so cool. Just throw that out there, how 
like there's a reason we did you know harry potter over the holidays uh, because you really get to relate to all this stuff and even the time of year it is right now i mean um i know kind of the task we're going to talk about today is a little bit later but as far as even preparing for it is really like this time right now so even down here living in florida i mean it can still get cold at times i know especially in georgia <laughs> it gets like half degrees and and you know half the degrees it is here in florida so it's down in like 60s i know in new york it's super cold up there so uh it really makes everything so much more relatable especially when you're you know going through it at all as almost the same time as these characters which is so cool um next one i would say here uh i guess so uh so i guess like i would probably well there was a number of different things like i mean i won't go into ron just yet that's kind of what i was thinking about um but i guess so one thing that is really cool that i liked that i do want to read here is the decorations at hogwarts for christmas for this yule ball because we've seen hogwarts decorated before so we'd be like oh well it's always gorgeous at christmas and it's so cool at halloween like just like we were saying before last episode you know they're trying to pull out all the stops for this tournament um and it's like a traditional ball and so it says when decorations went up here you notice that their most stunning um yet seen it was most stunning and in, seen inside the school everlasting icicles had been attached to the banisters of the marble staircase the usual 12 christmas trees on the great hall were being decked with everything from luminous holly uh to uh reefs that were hooting real golden owls uh, suits of armor had all been bewitched to sing carols every night uh whenever anyone passed it was quite something because they would say oh come all ye faithful i would probably be creeped out if some random suit of armor was like singing to me at night um and then even to as far as you know um after that you know harry is starting you really start to notice like how he's taken to an interest in cho chang uh and he actually goes to ask her out and it's like so funny in this episode we're covering here in these chapters because i feel like the good guys man kind of become the bad guys and they get what they they deserve like it's like kind of like brought back down to reality like i feel like especially harry that's happening right here every guy knows it's like if something like this happens it's like you're on the top of that roller coaster you're going up on the top of the roller coaster and then something like this response it's just a nose dive down but no brakes <laughs> that's exactly what it is and uh so harry goes do you do you want to go with me to the ball said harry why uh why you know well would you like to go to the ball and she's like oh uh i'm really sorry harry um and then she looked at him and says i've i'm already going with someone else and then what's so weird though about his response because i feel like even if i was in this situation which will kind of i'll give you a hint some malice in the chalices will be thrown today gonna go reminisce on some old times baby yeah but even if i was in this situation i would never have said something like this 
So Harry like tries to stop himself, and then he's like so into the situation and wants to go with her so bad. He goes, "Who are you going with?" Like who says that? And she goes, "Oh, Cedric, Cedric Diggory." Like who says that to a girl? Like if you get turned down, all right. Like suck in your pride, figure it out. No, he's like so offended. He's like, who are you going with? Like, I need to know. Don't you turn away from me. And with that, I'll turn it over to you, Jay Nelly. Sure. Uh, I want to read the first half of this page where like, this is my guy, Fred. So Fred's the one that kind of puts it all in motion, telling these guys, hey, you better get a move on or else you're going to miss out on all the good looking girls, you know? And so Ron's like, what? You already asked? He goes, well, you heard about me. All the guns will be taken, said Fred. Well, who are you going with then, said Ron. Angelina, Fred replied promptly without a trace of embarrassment. What, said Ron, taking it back? You already asked her? Good point, said Fred. He turned his head and called across the common room. Oi, Angelina! Angelina, who had been chatting with Alicia Spinnett near the fire, looked over at him. What? She called back. Want to come to the ball with me? Angelina gave Fred an appraising sort of look. All right, then, she said and turned back to Alicia and carried on chatting with a bit of a grin on her face. There you go, said Fred to Ron and Harry. Piece of cake. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Like, he just did it right on the fly. That's my guy, man. Love, I love me some Fred Weasley, bro. Um, and then when you were talking about, like, the armor singing, Come All You Faithful, I just had, like, in there that Peeves would hide in there and fill in his, in his own rude lyrics for yeah. that. Like, he would make up some mean like stuff uh then to your point talking about cho turning down harry because she already agreed to go with cedric it just you know that's one of those ones that was easy to swallow because you remember what it said in there it said that she looked really like sorry and she truly looked it says mm-hmm. oh said cho when she went red to oh yeah. harry i'm really sorry and she truly looked it i've already said i'll go with someone else so that's one of those denials you can kind of like you like it it's like there's no moral victories in sports right that's what they say but it's like you're a team that's not great let's say you're the new york jets and you play the chiefs really closely right you you lose to the chiefs 41 (laughs) to 38 you know what it's not a win but you can't feel too bad because it just happens that another guy asked her first my more concerned is like why are all these older people asking these younger girls in the dance I mean, not to get anything out of the way, but there's a certain Bulgarian who's 18 who asks a younger person. Now Cedric, 17, asking Cho's and Harry's year at 14. What is going on with all these upperclassmen <laughs> going for the young ones, man? I don't know. That's just what I had to say about that. Yeah, that's some but, weird stuff. <laughs> is that, and then, like, legal? <laughs> just and then we go into, like, the embarrassing turndown of when Ron asked Fluid Delacour to the ball, and he said that she didn't even answer him. Ron said that she looked at him like he was some ugly sea slug. <laughs> That's horrible. That's so sad. That's Poor Ron. man. He said he didn't even stick around terrible. for an answer, so... At the same was... time, though, and then I'll let you get back onto it, just throwing this out there, like, I feel like these two guys, even though we're saying poor Harry, poor Ron right now, I feel like they get clearly what they deserve after... Oh, yeah. For how they act, for sure. Dive into. Yeah, I'll let you get back to it, though. Yeah, I've only got a couple more things before I'll turn it back to you. Page 402, Harry asks Parvati Patil, and she says yes, and then she got Parvati to ask her sister Padma for Ron. 
And I thought it was funny because, like, part of the thing, like, Harry and Ron had a, and I'm sorry, Hermione and Ron had a quick, like, spat just talking about, like, oh, so basically you'll, you'll take any good-looking girl as long as, like, she's pretty. And Ron's like, yeah, basically. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if she's awful. Like, and he's, like, talking about, like, Eloise's nose is, like, off-center or something. And then, so, like, that, at the end of that chapter, it was funny. He's like, he uh, hoped Padma Patil's nose was dead center. <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> I thought that was fun. Um, page 403, this is the chapter 23 going into the Yule Ball. The Canary Creams were a big success. Um, page 404, this is something I wanted to bring up, talking about from last weekend to this week. Flira Delacour is telling anyone like that the, she's not that big of a fan of Hogwarts like decorations. She's not impressed by anything. So I think Hogwarts like is this big middle school, right? It seems like... yeah. It seems like Bo Batten's is like the fancy school, the private school all the rich kids go to. Durmstrang is like the one that like you don't really want to go to. It's not as nice <laughs> as Hogwarts. And Hogwarts is like that public school that's kind of in the middle. And so like that's why like like Victor Crumb loves Hogwarts. He's like, Oh, we've got nothing like this. And Fleur Delco is like, This is bullcrap. Over in Bo Batten's, we got some real stuff. So <laughs> I just I wanted to point that out because in my mind I think that's how it goes. Like the pri- like like Bo Batten's is the private rich kids school. Hogwarts yeah. is like that popular public school, and then you got Durmstrang, where like you, that's like Vista Way, man. You don't want to go there. <laughs> no, so uh, that's all I'll say there, and I'll turn it back to you, brother. Oh man, we'll oh we'll have we'll talk about some fun times. Um, no names mentioned, but you know, Jay Nell and I go go back. We have some good times, man. We go um, back. One thing I was just gonna say about. As far as what you're saying about Ron, just kind of piggybacking off of that for a minute. That's, like, the thing. He was such an ass about it. Like, just starting off here. Like, because clearly... Let's be real. I don't think this is much of a spoiler right now. He's developing some sort of feelings for Hermione at this point. And, um, like, the way he tries to play it off reminds me of, like, a kid in like third or fourth grade where he wants to like pull on the girl's hair because he thinks it's funny like she'll like him that way Uh, because the first thing he does is he makes fun of neville who like neville has like nothing to do with him right now like ron's playing that role where it's like it's like that kid's trying to make himself look better by putting others down exactly that's what i was getting at yeah and i just thought it was so uncalled for and um uh, so he goes, uh, guess who Neville asked out to the ball? And then he, everyone's like, who? Like, all right, who really cares? And then he goes, he told me after potions. Said she's always been really nice, helping him out with work and stuff. But she told him she was already going with someone else, Hermione Granger. <laughs> so it's like, dude, like, why would you even bring that up, though? Like, one, it has nothing to do with you at all she said no so i don't even know why you're getting offended but i guess for the whole point you just wanted to bring it up that she's going with someone else to make a scene about it right and then i do want to like it's like the tussle back and forth all i wanted to bring up about that is like when hermione didn't give him his way when he was like first of all so disrespectful I gotta say, so disrespectful in the words of Stephen A. Smith, man. He said, but Ron was staring at Hermione as though suddenly seeing her in a whole new light. 
Hermione, Neville's right. You're a girl. Oh, well, spar well spotted, she said acidly. Well, you can come with one of us then. Like, not even asking her. No, I can't, said Hermione. Oh, come on. Come on, he said impatiently. We need partners. We're going to look really stupid if we ain't got any. Everyone else has. Okay, so now she's supposed to pity date you to the ball? Like, her ball, too. And she's supposed to go on this pity date. I can't come with you, said Hermione, now blushing, because I'm already going with someone. No, you're not. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> like, you're telling her what she is doing. Uh, you just said... You just said that to get rid of Neville, bringing up Neville again. Oh, did I, said Hermione, and her eyes flashed dangerously. Just because it's taken you three years to notice, Ron, doesn't mean no one else has spotted I'm a girl. Ron stared at her and then grinned again. Okay, okay. Like, this is his big, politeful moment. You're a girl, he said. That, that do. Now, will you come now? I've already told you, Hermione said angrily. I'm going with someone else. And she stormed off to the girls' dormitory again. And here's the other part I wanted to bring up and I won't read anymore. It's like, then his sister Jenny is staring there, standing there. And, like, he drags her into it. That's, like, so not even... Just digging holes, man. Digging holes. He goes, this is stupid. Jenny, you can go with Harry. And I'll just... She's like, I can't. Uh, which, it, you know, you bring up a really good point. Like, she really did want to go with Harry. But then she says, like, I'm going with Neville. But it's the whole point of, like, he didn't even, like, ask her what she was doing. Like, he's trying to take control of everyone else's situation just because he got turned down by floor decor. And then no one else, like, was on his number one list. So now he's trying to have a pity party. Um... Uh, so skip, I'll do one more and I'll shoot it back over to you. So going past, uh, you already brought up Pavardi there. So going over to, I mean, they kind of go back and forth for just a little bit. But Ron brings it up again. So this is what we were talking about earlier. He notices Hermione's teeth are brought back to normal. Now this could have come across really sweet. Could have played his cards right. You know, he's not a bad looking dude. Uh, he goes... Hermione, said Ron, looking sideways at her, suddenly frowning. Your teeth. What about them, she said. Well, they're, they're different. I've just noticed. Of course they are. Did you expect me to keep those fangs Malfoy gave me? No, I mean, they're different to how they were before. Um, when he put that hex on you, I mean, they're all straight, normal-sized. Like, who says that? So messed up, dude. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you. But Ron's an ass. He's being an ass. He's showing his self right now. Well, I mean, that was a perfect segue. That goes right into the next one that I was talking. What he's going to talk about was that Hermione had Madame Pomfrey shrink her teeth smaller than originally. Like, she goes into discuss on how that happened when she's like, I just let her go up a little bit further than, you know. So uh, that was good. That was a good way to leave off. Um, also on page 403, like the canary creams were a big success. Like Harry, yeah. Fred and George were selling those left and right. Shows you the kind of business acumen they have together. Yeah. Um, then also, uh, Sirius replies and gets Harry a letter. So I'm going to read Sirius's letter here. 
It says, Dear Harry, congratulations on getting past the horntail. Whoever put your name in the goblet shouldn't be feeling too happy right now. I was going to suggest a con- conjunctivitis curse as a dragon's eyes are its weakest point. And at that point, Hermione interrupts and says, That's what Crumb did. But your way was better. I'm impressed. Don't get complacent, though, Harry. You've only done one task. Whoever put you in for the tournament's got plenty more opportunity if they're trying to hurt you. Keep your eyes open, particularly when the person we discussed is around. And concentrate on keeping yourself out of trouble. Keep in touch. I still want to hear about anything unusual. Serious. So, thought that was good. And then also, that's important on a couple notes because he almost sounds like Mad-Eye Moody. Like, keep, keep constant vigilance. Always keep an eye out. Never get too lazy here. So I just thought, he's, he's really taken on the role of Godfather very well. I know like only in personal experience and it's not a knock against him i barely know my godfather like i like i know his name and i know like he like his relation to me but i've seen him maybe twice in my life three times and all of them were like age seven and under i haven't seen him in over 20 years so like in serious he's actively involved in harry's life as a godfather obviously harry doesn't have parents so but um i thought that was really nice to see going on from there page 407 uh, you know, they start playing uh, wizard chess again. I, there's nothing, I just like that moment myself because it's been a while since we've seen wizard chess. That was a big moment back in book one in Sorcerer's Stone having to get past the, uh, all the enchantments to get to the Mirror of Erised to find the, the Sorcerer's Stone, right? So right. we haven't really seen much about wizard's chess up until now. They play a quick game and Ron, like, always wins. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um... Dobby, in page 407, wakes Harry up on Christmas Day by standing over him nose to nose. You know how creepy that is? <laughs> if you're sleeping, and all of a sudden, like, you, 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 can, you can feel sometimes, like, when something's wrong, you've got to wake up. Imagine if you're getting shaken awake, and there's a house elf, like, almost nose to nose with you staring at you with big eyes like that. Freaked him right out. He, like, startled, <laughs> jumped awake, got kind of mad with Dobby. And Dobby's like, well, you said I could busy. He's like, yeah, well, just, like, shake me awake. Like, why you got to, like, stand over me like a creep? So... <laughs> Thought that was funny, but uh, Dobby made Harry some cool socks for Christmas. One had like like uh, broomsticks on one, and green. The other sock was green with golden snitches. He and he like he made it so they don't match because he's like he thought that matching socks were a mistake. He thought they were supposed, <laughs> they were supposed to be mismatched, so that was cool. Um, page four ten. Sirius gives Harry a penknife with attachments to unlock any lock and undo any knot. That's a big foreshadow. That um, that penknife there, uh, mainly for next book but still important. And then page 410, I just, I wanted to end that here, the end of that page, like they had a really wholesome snowball fight uh, before the Yule Ball took place. So I just wanted to bring that up. And with that, take it away. Take her away, Ern. <laughs> take her away. Uh, by the way, speaking of Dobby, I feel like that's just like how he does things. Like it's very weird and creepy. But going back to when I was saying last episode, you know, keep that in mind. Like, he asked Harry for, like, to come visit him. So that's, like, his way of welcoming himself. Almost like if you just invited yourself to someone's house in the middle of the night when they don't know you're there. Yeah, he doesn't have very good social skills, does he? Like, he doesn't know what's, like, acceptable and what's not. So <laughs> Yeah, no, because remember when the Dursleys in um, year two, he just, like, appeared. On the bed, just chilling. <laughs> They're like, that was normal. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that was okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just piggybacking off of that, I thought it was cool. Um, 
The new password for the Gryffindor common room is Larry Fights. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Well, it's really... fa- it's Fairy Lights. The, the... Fairy Lights, sorry. Yeah. But no, yeah. Larry Larry Fights is what the drunk uh, picture does say when she's like, oh, like, you know. So gotcha. it's, okay. it's Fairy Lights, but they make a joke of it and she messes up because she's drunk. They messes up the first letter of the words and says Larry Fights. Yeah. Okay, see, that's good because that's a full circle moment for me because I kept looking up Larry Fights and it's... I couldn't find anything, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, so that's, it's, it's that fairy lights. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, uh, Floor Delacour is accompanied by uh, Roger Davis, the you know the Ravenclaw Quidditch captain. So you know she had to go big dirty on that one. You know, got to make a show, show off her trophy there. Um, <laughs> and this is when you know, and of course, like ron notices all them right but then malfoy just kind of is like he reminded me of a vampire yeah like it's, the, the viker like like thing yeah yeah uh yeah he said it has he was wearing black robes and a high collar <laughs> and accompanied by pansy parkinson's uh parkinson in very like frilly ro- robes of pale pink like if that doesn't describe like a halloween couple it reminds me of like one time tom brady like was in a press conference and it was like the blow-up caller and everyone's thinking like tom i understand you played well but like what's with the caller man <laughs> what's with the caller um crab and goyle were wearing green uh that were like uh the same color as like um like balders um and then the lawn this is what's really cool so like they really decked this thing out this is the area of the lawn right in front of the castle had been transformed into a sort of grotto full of uh fairy lights that you mentioned meaning hundreds of actual living fairies were sitting in the rose bushes that had been conjured there and fluttering over the statues of what seemed to be father christmas and his reindeers (laughs) like that would be pretty sick to see like i feel like it's just setting the scene like if you can't you know, if you can't uh, win over your date at this thing, there's just no hope for you. Because this is like every girl's dreamland of being in for one night. So and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Sure, I'll go up to page 411. I thought this was a cool thing from uh, Dean Thomas. He goes, I still can't work out how you two got the best looking girls in the year. And then Ron replied, animal magnetism. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, he said it gloomily because, like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to be there. Like, he's annoyed that you know the, the whole situation of going to a ball, and you know, we'll we'll see like how they act at the ball here in a second. But mm-hmm. page four hundred fourteen. Remember, like, he's like they saw Crumb walk past, and Harry's like he walked past with a girl he didn't know because he saw it in passing. Yeah. Well, on page four fourteen, Harry realizes Victor Crumb's date is Hermione. He's yeah. like, whoa, and you know, so she was actually described. Uh, really, really well. I'll, I'll go ahead and describe it. It says, uh, It was Hermione, but she didn't look like Hermione at all. She had done something with her hair. It was no longer bushy, but sleek and shiny, and twisted up into an elegant knot at the back of her head. She was wearing robes made of floaty, periwinkle blue material, and she was holding herself differently. Somehow, or maybe it was merely the absence of the 20 or so books that she usually had slung over her back. She was also smiling rather nervously, it was true, but the reduction in the size of her front teeth was more noticeable than ever. 
Harry couldn't understand how he hadn't seen it before. So that's a nice, beautiful way to describe Hermione. And because remember, like through up to this point, she's kind of been described as not attractive. Like, you know, bushy hair, like buck teeth, uh, you know, just kind of nerdy, always knows in a book. She's never really been like seen in a light of beauty. And this is the moment where it's almost like not a coming of age, I wouldn't say, but at least you start looking at her in a different light, right? So, yeah. Uh, by uh, the way, just piggybacking off of that real quick, the film, I thought this was actually one thing the film did really well on because I think you and I both agree, just like you said. Emma Watson was really perfect uh, for this role. And this is really when this moment is definitely one of those defining moments of not coming of age, like you were saying, but definitely the blown up Harry Potter. Like this is the meaning blown up, meaning like this is more of the getting the emotional adult side where you have different relationships involved and that sort of thing. Because even like the scene where she just like walks down the stairs you know, we're used to, like, Hermione Granger, I always call her Granger things, you know, or was expelled, like, with the massive bushy hair, she's kind of, like, not, like, mousy or anything, kind of reminds me of, like, a little cat, like a <laughs> kitten or something, I guess, and then, yeah, she's grown up to this fine young woman and um, getting the respect she deserves, so, yeah, just uh, throwing that in there, but back to you, man. Yeah, uh, page 416, this is just something going, we're moving past that to where Dumbledore is at the top of the table. And, you know, they all got menus, they're all kind of looking around like confused. And then Dumbledore actually places the order by saying the name of what he wanted to eat out loud. And so they all kind of get the <laughs> idea like, oh, okay. So for example, if I'm looking at the menu and it's like roasted lamb chops, you literally just say roasted lamb chops and they appear through your table and it's there in front of you. So I thought that was pretty cool how the house elves had that working for the special feast. That was dope. Um... Page 419, the weird sisters start playing. And I'm saying this only because I have them, them as my interesting facts <laughs> coming up. I'm going to talk about some of their famous songs and cool things like that. But oh, uh, cool. and page 420, Moody, like because he's got that uh, the magical eye, he looks down at Harry's ankles and sees through. And he like he replies, he, he tells uh, Harry, nice socks. Uh, so Because he was wearing the <laughs> socks that Dobby had given him. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, now 421... What I'll say about it, because I'll let you go into it, because I know you love this, because we were talking about this all week. This is one of your favorite moments here. But the only thing I'll say, just to kind of surmise it, and I'll let you get into the nitty-gritty detail about it if you want, is that in page 421, Ron throws a fit about Hermione going with Crumb, which is kind of a foreshadow <laughs> for their relationship as well. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave it to you to talk about that fit, if you see fit, if you want to get into that. Oh, oh yeah, we will see fitteth. <laughs> we will pay w credit where credit is due. <laughs> Pick a side. <laughs> um, yeah, you got any more you want to cover? No, I want or you. To, I want you to take that because that's a big one, and I know that that that's the detail you wanted to see. So I got more after that, but I want you to to take away that little um section of gotcha. Ron and, and Hermione having the big blow up fight at the Yule Ball because you were so excited about it talking about it all week so oh, I, yes. I wanted oh. to leave I wanted to leave it for you you know what I mean oh yeah oh we're yeah. gonna get into it too uh just a couple things I wanted to touch on I loved how you brought out how like <clears throat> you know the the weird sisters came out I don't want to say it was really cool when like Dumbledore I called it like setting the stage like he took like a, a whiff of his wand and all of a sudden like the guitars came out 
Um, it says it here, so as far as... Uh, hold on one second. I wrote down the actual exact quote. So it said, Dumbledore stood up and asked the students to do the same. Then with a wave of his wand, all the tables zoomed back. So just like pushed back magically <laughs> along the walls, leaving the floor clear. And then he conjured and raised a platform into existence along the right wall. A set of drums, several guitars, a flute, a cello, and some bagpipes <laughs> were strung up on it. And then that's when you have your girls, the weird sisters, jump on there. So I just thought it was so cool. Like, imagine if you're, like, wondering, you know, if you're in a concert, like, you're preparing for, like, these people to go on stage or you see chords and stuff everywhere. Dude just, like, waves a wand and stuff appears. And, like, the tables fly everywhere. If you're in traffic and you're, like, no traffic, <laughs> just, like, almost like Bruce Almighty, they go to each side. That's awesome. Um, uh, just another couple things that I thought were big. Like, Percy is there in the place of Crouch. So I thought that was a, a big one, kind of a big moment later. He just That's, says, Yeah, I kind of foreshadow now. That's why yeah, I put that, yeah. I put that so in my foreshadow. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. No. Um, I just want to make sure we touched on that at some point because that is a big moment for the story as far as that. Not one of my favorites. A little boring to me. A little boring. Per Percy um, himself's just a boring guy. You know what I mean? There's nothing really exciting about Percy Weasley. <laughs> he studies cauldrons. Like, how cool is that? Like, like the thickness I mean, of cauldron bottoms. Like, they want to know, like, if it's, like, the difference between one and a half inches or one inch point, one inch and one sixteenth. Like, it doesn't matter, man. It's cauldrons. Leave it yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like, who cares? Um, okay, so now we're going to get into that big moment here so there's a, a few little things that lead up to it right so like ron is kind of like staring at hermione and crumb at first like being that little let's be real he's not being cool right now we'll keep it clean but like he's being uh selfish has his butt on his shoulders as my dad used to tell me growing up when i was like five like if i got in trouble or something and was trying to be a like you know hold my own attitude about it my dad would like to the point call me out in front of like the whole family at family at dinner and he'd be like do we have our butt on our shoulders today because that's exactly what it looked like with ron um just can't be happy for her and like harry asked as he's walking up to ron just to chill like harry didn't do anything to you how's it going ron and he's sitting down and opening a bottle of butterbeer not answering <laughs> silence is golden let's talk about he's entirely ignoring his date right now like he's being such a great date that he hasn't said anything to anybody and he's sulking to the corner sulking in the corner in the words of um wedding crashers i'm always a big owen wilson and vince vaughn uh, fan uh don't sit in a corner and sulk it draws attention to yourself in a negative way <laughs> that's exactly what he's doing here man um and to the point like he ignored his date so much Pavardi was asked to dance and um she even like had to look at harry because like harry's doing the same with ron just sitting there and looks at harry and is like you don't mind do you harry and he's like uh what and they're basically like whatever just ignore it in the like film it was so bad they try you know they try to overblow things in the film she was like arm leg whatever you want take it but it just shows like he harry i don't really blame him so much i think it's like he's being dragged down with this from ron but ron is definitely being a double s if you know what i mean 
And so, <laughs> literally, uh, and then, um, so Ron, this is when they have this big fight, right? So Ron gives, like, Hermione this, like, kind of, like, I guess, they say withering look, but basically, like, a dirty look. Like, not even, like, trying to notice her at all, right? He said, he goes, Victon, he said. Hasn't he asked you to call him Vicky yet? <laughs> then Hermione looked in surprise and said, What's up with you? Like, you're, you're being an ass all night. Like, you're sitting here pouting. Pouting like a child, like a five-year-old, when you're supposed to be having a good time. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> like, who says that? You're what? How old is this guy? You're, 14. what, 17? No, he's 14, right? Yeah. 14 you're acting like you're five (laughs) like you're five like no one has any idea why you're mad um looks over at harry and then just shrugs and hermione's like ron what like what's the problem i didn't do anything to you he's from dermstrang spat ron he's competing against harry against hogwarts you your ron obviously Casting around for words strong enough to describe Hermione's crime. <laughs> you're fraternizing with the enemy is what you're doing. Just like, what? Even in the... Uh, Emma Watson did an amazing job of this in the movie. One of the best things I think they've done in the movie. She was like, fraternizing with the enemy? Like, I have no idea what you're talking... Like, where does that come from, from left field? Like, what are you talking about, right? And then Hermione's mouth just falls open in the book. Don't be stupid, she said after a moment. The enemy, honestly, who was the one who was all excited when they saw him arrive? When was Who was the one that wanted his autograph? Who got a model of him pinned up in his dormitory? Ron chose to ignore this. <laughs> I suppose he asked you to come with him. While you were both in the library. Yes. Yes, he did, said Hermione, the pink patches on her cheeks glowing more brightly. So what? What happened? You tried to get him to join Spew, were you? No, I wasn't. If you were, if you really want to know, he said he'd be coming up to the library. He was coming up to the library every day to try to talk to me because he hasn't been able to pluck up the courage. Hermione said, and then very quickly blushed so deeply that she was just showing red color and as color red as her robes, as it's described. And then freaking Ron, this is when he starts getting real nasty here. So if you watched our Westworld episode, you know, we talked about Logan getting nasty. This is like baby boy nasty. He goes, yeah, well, that's his story, said Ron nastily. And what's that supposed to What's that supposed to mean? Obvious, isn't it? He's Kakarov's student, isn't he? He knows who you're hanging around with. He's just trying to get closer to Harry to get inside information on him or get near enough to jinx him. Like, where does that come from? Like, okay, now you're dragging Harry into this because he's sitting next to you and that's the only thing you can come up with. Hermione looked as though Ron had slapped her. So she's really starting to like almost like cry here. Like, what's this guy's deal? Like, one, he's been out of all the summers they've spent together, even just as friends. Not to mention the feelings they're probably bringing up for each other. But 
she's been with him, like loyal to him from the beginning. And he's just being a total ass. He says, Hermione looked as Ron as slapped her. When she spoke, her voice quivered. For your information, he hasn't asked me one single thing about Harry. Not one. Ron changed changed back at the speed of light. Then he's hoping you'll help him find out what his egg means. <laughs> I suppose you've been putting your heads together during those cozy little library sessions. I'd never help him work on that egg, said Hermione, looking outraged. Never. How could you say something like that? I want Harry to win this tournament. Terry knows that, don't you, Harry? You've got a funny way of showing it, sneered Ron. This whole tournament's supposed to be about getting this whole tournament's supposed to be about getting to know foreign wizards and making friends with them, said Hermione hotly. No, it isn't, shouted Ron. It's about winning. People were starting to stare at them. So imagine the whole ball just looking at these two. Ron, said Harry quietly. I haven't got a problem with Hermione coming with Crumb. So even like Harry is like, dude, like what's your deal right now? Like you're really like, this is not necessary. But Ron ignored Harry too. F you man. F you. F you. F you. F all you guys here. Why don't you go and find Vicky? He'll be wondering where you are. <laughs> said Ron. Don't call him Vicky. Hermione jumped to her feet and stormed off across a dance floor, disappearing into the crowd. Ron watched her go with a mixture of anger and satisfaction on his face. <laughs> and then Padma walks up to him. Are you going to dance at all? No. <laughs> Glaring after Hermione. Yeah, dude. Like, it's just... It, it's absolutely insane. And, and this is the part where I think Crumb... Like, Crumb's, like, the nicest guy. So, like, right after this thing is over and I'll let you take it away, man. So, two things happen. So, Crumb, like, the nice guy. Like, maybe he's, like, incompetent or something. I don't know. So, Ron's just talked shit about him. Excuse my language. For the past, like, 20 minutes, been talking shit about him. Hermione storms off and Crumb comes over. He's like, where's Hermione? <laughs> Set of voice. Crumb had just arrived at their table, clutching two butterbeers. Oh, yeah, feel myself. Feel myself. No idea, said Ron, mullishly, looking up at him. Lost her, have you? Crumb was looking surely again, like not even knowing what's going on. Well, if you see her, tell her I have drinks, he said, and he slouched off. And then Percy walks up, approaches Ron, and goes, Oh, Made friends with Victor Crumb, have you, Ron? Percy had bustled over, rubbing his hands together and looking extremely pompous. Excellent! I mean, that's the whole point, you know. International magic cooperation? <laughs> and on that end, I'll turn it over to you, my man. <laughs> sure. Uh, I knew you were going to be happy to do that one, so I was happy to give it to you. <laughs> but uh, for me, what I just put there, I, in page two, 424, is that Harry and Ron went from being accompanied by the prettiest girls in their year to being alone at their table with Percy Weasley very quickly. <laughs> like, like Harry wouldn't dance with Parvati, <laughs> Ron wouldn't dance with Padma, and like that's what they brought them there for. You, you ask them to be your date, you're supposed to make sure they have got a good, they have a good time, and you're just 
Ron was on some other stuff, just complaining about Hermione. And <laughs> Harry was kind of got brought into it. And now he's not in the mood to do anything because he's like, what the heck? Like, now both my friends are mad, but I'm still friends with both of them. I'm not taking either one's side on this. So I just thought that was interesting. These, think of this real quick, though. Sorry, not to cut you off or interrupt you. These two went from literally in the school right now, from hero to zero, in a matter of like six hours. <laughs> that's what just happened hero to zero man back to you so this is for your boy ali bashir he gets a quick mention again about the magic carpets i just wanted to touch yeah. on that real quickly that uh ali bashir and his magic carpets making another appearance in the book and that's on page 425 talking about him smuggling a consignment of flying carpets into the country which if you guys remember back in the world cup that's something that they were talking about uh with arthur weasley and Cornelius fudge you know, Ali Bashir, and you were given like the whole uh, Aladdin reference a couple weeks back. But yeah, um, that's awesome, man. Just want to put that in there. Uh, page 427. Some real big things come up here. Page 427 is when Hagrid tells Madame Maxime about his family and where he got his giant side from. Then he asks her about her giant side, and she gets offended, offended and denies being part giant. Like, girl, you are the same size as Hagrid as a female. Like, what do you, who are you lying to? She said, I have big bones. Like, what? So, uh, I know you've got more about... The, I don't want to talk about the giant stuff because I know your interesting facts today talk about Hagrid's mom. So, I won't get into the parentage thing there or the dialogue between Hagrid and Madame Maxime. I'll just get to the point, which is he discusses, for the first time we learn, without a shadow of a doubt... Hagrid is part giant, which is huge because Ron's about to tell us the way wizards look at giants in the wizarding world. Because, you know, Hermione and Harry, they come from Muggle, the Muggle world for the most part. Like, both of uh, Hermione's parents are dentists. They're both Muggles. Harry's parents were wizards, but they're dead, and he was raised by Muggles. So, they don't know why this whole thing's a big deal. But Ron does, and he kind of lets them know. But, uh... I did think it was kind of cool when Hagrid said this about his dad. He said, By the time I was six, I could lift him up and put him on top of the dresser if he annoyed me. Like, imagine being able to put your dad on the top of a dresser at six years old. Six years old. (laughs) (laughs) Thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, But yeah, on page 430, I do want to talk about how they think um, about giants. So, this is what Ron says. Well, first we'll start with Harry. Who cares, Harry said. There's nothing wrong with Hagrid. I know there isn't. But, blimey, no wonder he keeps it quiet. I always thought he had gotten in the, in the bad way of an engorgement charm when he was a kid or something. Didn't like to mention it. And then Harry says, but what does it matter if his mother was a giantress? Well, no one who knows him will care because they'll know he's not dangerous, said Ron slowly. But Harry, they're just vicious giants. It's like Hagrid said. It's in their nature. They're like trolls. They're ju- they just like killing. Everyone knows that. There aren't any left in Britain now, though. What happened? Well, they were dying out anyways, and loads of them got themselves killed by Aurors, and they're supposed to be giants abroad. They hide out in mountains, mostly. So, he kind of gives us an idea. Like, the Wizarding World looks down on giants as, like, vicious, mindless creatures that like to cause violence and hurt and kill. And, you know, that's why Hagrid has kept it a secret up to this point, because if that got out... A lot of parents would have a problem with him teaching their children. And that actually, that's a little bit of a foreshadow coming up there. And then, um, yeah, I will say that uh, in the last sentence here, 
that before I'll turn it back over to you is it's just it's just sad honestly like it, it it's sad that uh Harry didn't have a lot of fun because the words he used was ha- uh, Harry was perfectly happy to be going to bed as far as he was concerned the evening hadn't been much fun but think about it this was your first experience taking a girl to a dance it's supposed to be like fun even kind of like magical in a way like yeah. you're dancing with someone you like people around and you're getting to mingle with all these people in a in a setting that's not a classroom you're having a good time this is what you're supposed to be doing and harry showed up danced one dance with parvati had to sit through ron and hermione fighting and then like because ron was in a bad mood harry was trying to be a good friend and just stick with him so he would feel better and it kind of caused harry to have his night ruined too so that's all i wanted to add and with that i'll pass it back to you yeah man no this was all ron's fault like this is no one's fault but ron he chose to be uh, the ass. He chose to act like a five-year-old, like a child. And on top of that, like he's he's the one that caused this because he had the chance to, and which we'll talk about it later. Like if he had asked Hermione and did everything the right way, she probably would have said yes. But remember, he went after Fleur Delacour first and just like shunned her up like she was nothing. So this is nothing but his fault. Oh, this is going to be a fun episode. Oh, yes. With Doing the it. Malice Gods coming at you, baby. Malice and the Chalice up in here. Let's get that Malice going, baby. Drink out of that goblet. Mm. Ain't nothing in it. <laughs> mm. Jay Nelly in the building. So here's what I want to do, man. This is going to be a fun one. So, uh... First, let's kind of reminisce. Let's go back, man. Back to our old high school prom days and all that stuff. Tell me if, like, you know, I want you to go all in on this. You know, tell me if, like, you did the promposal, how you did it, whether the years you went to homecoming or you went to prom, you know, what maybe crazy prom parties or what other parties you went to back in the day as far as, like, high school when we used to throw them in houses you know, all that good stuff will kind of shoot the shit for a bit. Won't go too long. Excuse my language, but this is the funnest part. Uh, and then at the very end, because I just wanted to know, whoever you got, you know, I'm a big <laughs> impulsive fan. <laughs> so I wanted to know if you would pick Floyd Mayweather or Logan Paul. I'm kind of on that impulsive because I'm impulsive. What does Logan Paul wrong? and Floyd Mayweather have to do with like a ball? <laughs> I don't know. I just didn't have <laughs> what? two malice cards. Didn't have two malice cards. So, but keep that, uh, if you get to that, whatever, if not, just throw it out. I'll actually, I'll <laughs> but, start with that. I'll yeah, just let's... start with that. Cause I'll knock it out quickly. Like, honestly, Logan Paul has no boxing training, like comparatively, he's not a professional boxer. He's an amateur boxer. He, I'm pretty sure he lost against KSI or KS1, whatever that like uh, video gamer guy is. So step in the <laughs> ring with Floyd Mayweather, who is the one, arguably one of the greatest boxers of all time certainly the best boxer of our generation who's never been defeated ever ever it's not gonna be close it's not gonna be competitive like Floyd Mayweather will probably keep him in the thing so they can make more money because as the rounds go on they make more by people tuning in pay-per-view wise so Floyd will probably carry him through a couple rounds but like it's not gonna be fun it's gonna be really boring like you're gonna see Logan Paul swinging and missing and <laughs> Floyd tap 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 until the bell rings probably i don't think it, yeah because the thing is it's, it's an exhibition on that very sad like it's it's an, it's an exhibition it's not even counted as a real boxing match so 
Yeah, I was like so pumped for this thing. Remember, I screenshotted yeah. it to you because I always think of like his brother, like Jake Paul. That reminds me of like a Joker guy or something. Like he's called out Conor McGregor, and I'm like, okay, Logan, let's see what you got, man. So I was kind of on that Logan train. Like I would watch the shit out of that. In the words of Joe Rogan, quote unquote, I I thought it'd be pretty cool. You got the YouTuber against you got the 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 money Mayweather. I don't know. Like, it'd be cool to see an upset. Probably not going to happen. But, yeah, in the end, I think you're right. Like, it's like, I think the best fight I've ever seen between Mayweather was where he fought, um, I always say, like, Papali. What's the guy that fought him? He was, like, really big that had all the punches. It was years ago. Um, started with, like, a P, I think. That was Pacquiao. Pacquiao. Uh, That's his name. But I don't think that was the best fight. That was a boring fight. The best fight he probably had was... (laughs) Marcus Maidana, the first fight, was probably the best, the closest fight that he's had. Oh, the Oscar De La Hoya fight was a close one, too. Um, but, yeah. yeah Josh but, is our fights guy, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Uh, boxing, I have okay knowledge, but UFC is really my specialty when it comes to the fight game, like mixed martial arts and UFC. Uh, yeah. I watch every single one of their events. So I watched, actually, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the one coming up here. Uh, January, I believe it's 23rd, January 23rd, Conor McGregor fights Dustin Poirier for the second time. And uh, we haven't seen Conor since last year when he fought Donald Cerrone. Really excited to see that, but we're kind of we're kind of really taking this malice out there. So let's let's, <laughs> yeah, let's ring this back in. Yeah. That, was a, that was a wild one. So, um, But to answer your question about the prom, semi, homecoming, like, I don't have any cool stories. Like, nothing like that. I, my prom proposal, like, honestly... And I don't even take pleasure in saying this. I kind of acted like Ron and Harry <laughs> during my uh, <laughs> during my prom. So yeah. what ended up happening is I kind of waited. Like, like so, we're talking about semi and cotillion. Those were fun events. But in cotillion, you know, the girl has to ask the guy. At least where I'm from, that's what cotillion is. The girl asks the guy, <laughs> right? Um, I actually had already been to prom in my junior year because a senior the, the year prior had asked me to go. So, like you can bring a younger date, right? So the senior asked me to go when I was in 11th grade. So I had already had the prom experience. So then when it was my turn in 12th grade, I had already done the prom and it was fun. So I wasn't that, it wasn't such a big event for me because I had already done it, right? So I waited kind of late and then almost exactly what Fred happened, like Fred said happened, like you better ask somebody or all the good ones are going to be taken. Well, I asked, I asked a really nice looking girl and she agreed to it, but like, I didn't know her as a person. And I unfortunately basically, um, took her for the photo ops. And then when we got to the prom, I barely talked to her. Like, I think I danced with her one dance and then I was just with my friends the rest of the time. And like, I would like periodically go back and check and be like, Hey, you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm good. Like I could tell that she was sad. So unfortunately that's, uh, I pulled a, I pulled an old Harry there. Um, I would, I regret that. Yeah, I wouldn't say I regret it. I, I would have done that differently though. I would have definitely been nicer, more attentive. Cause I was kind of selfish. I was like, Hey, it's my prom. I want to enjoy it. It's my last time. My boys were going to dance in the dance floor. We got the big circle around, like, you know, having all that fun that like, I totally just kind of put her to the wayside and didn't barely dance with her at all. Like, or even pay attention to her. So and hey, like, no worries, man. That's and funny. like, I would, I would dance with like other girls too. Like, it was just, Dude, I wasn't. Jaden Elliott, man, <laughs> he kills it on the dance floor, by the way. So I'm really surprised. 
you know, we if you like line dancing and stuff, ladies, this guy's single. He, he crushes it. <laughs> a good looking dude here, man. That's for sure. So he's up for grabs. Unfortunately, <laughs> sorry, I'm not anymore. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm emotionally crippled though, so I don't think uh, you. I won't I won't be letting anyone get to know me anytime soon. So don't waste your time, ladies. Uh, go find someone who will appreciate you. But hey, with that, <laughs> I'll turn over my. Uh, <laughs> My uh, malice to you, brother. Tell me about your uh, prom experience. Yeah, man. Oh, first of all, he's great at decorating. He's great at dancing. He's tall, good looking. You know, he's, he's got. I'm not good at treating do, people so. well, though. So I'm not. I'm not good at that. <laughs> so. Yeah, emotionally damaged, ready to be mended. There yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> if you so like toxic, bad. if you like toxic, I'm your guy. <laughs> Taste of your lips are on the run. Okay, boy. Josh I see is so so toxic. Jane <laughs> Nelly. Yeah, no, it's funny, man. It's like maybe that's why um great minds think alike. We've been best friends all these years. Mine was kind of the same. I'm not like exactly proud of that, I guess. My like first prom. So like the I guess like the big one was like my senior year. Cause like my junior year. I didn't really like I didn't go because I didn't think too much of it like it was just kind of like a like it was a big thing at my school but like I had just moved to this new school like my sophomore year we're still kind of getting to know people and stuff um but yeah my senior year it was kind of like the Harry and Ron thing almost man like I um I like asked this girl and she was like and I thought it was super early like for some reason like with I guess like when people like ask people for those things you got to be like nine months in advance i don't know why because i asked in march and our prom was late so it wasn't until the end of may and it still wasn't like enough time and it was like this girl i had like scoped out that i knew like had um actually she had like seen me one time running in the neighborhood and like followed me so i'm like oh this is like a slam dunk like i'm fine like i got this and then she was already going with someone and i still remember like i should have like i didn't do the like promposal or anything either like everyone does like maybe that's because like i should have definitely put a lot more effort into it maybe it's the way i was thinking that like maybe i wasn't like mature enough or something but i remember i was just like hey what's up and i like walked to the back of like where the trailers are we were changing classes i was like hey so like i just wanted to know like uh how about like you go with me <laughs> so like this prom on this date she was like and she's like oh, oh i'm so sorry blah 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 blah. like I, i'm already going someone so I was like whatever well then what happened right because i'm so oblivious at this stage maybe it's because like i didn't really pick up on like the way girls portray their emotions and stuff kind of like definitely harry and ron at this point um at this stage in life because the girl that i wound up going with that did want to go with me for like the longest time like kept trying to tell me that but like i i didn't understand what she was saying like one time we were even in the gym right and she's like well like i know who i want to go with but it was like trying to give you all these eyes like oh well, like, that guy over there playing Foursquare is pretty cool. Like, you should, like, ask him or something. Well, long story short was, like, 
she basically wound up asking me. So I went. We're still like really good friends to this day. She's a really sweet girl. Uh, still lives at home, all that good, like back in our hometown and stuff. Great person. Um, but yeah, I was like, I guess I wasn't like mature enough to even understand what she was saying. I was like, oh, yeah, like we should totally like go with that guy over there. He's a great catch, man. And uh, so, yeah, that happened. And it turned out that the girl that I did ask, her other friend was like, wanting to go with me or something but i like completely missed the shot on that because i just ignored it (laughs) like didn't take any signs and then i guess uh you know i had a girlfriend for a while once i got after that and she was a year younger so um i did the i don't want to not a legal thing but like the kind of what all these people you brought up like go into the younger ones well that was me for like one year at prom i was like yeah like probably shouldn't be here so uh yeah instead i just had uh house parties in college one time my buddy ran up a tree and uh we did karaoke it's good stuff but yeah man that goes off to the shadows I'm, it's kind of like one of those things. I don't know what it is. I thought we'd get some like really cool story out of it, but me and you are the same. It's just like, I, maybe we thought we were so cool or something that we just didn't. And you hear about all these promposals with chalk and like all that sort of thing. And now we're just like, nah, man, like it's not, not going to be happening up in here. Not until you confess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that, the right way to put it. it I think we... You. I yeah. think we uh, honestly thought that we were too cool for our own good, you know, and that we were like, but unfortunately, I had the misfortune of probably ruining that girl's prom experience, oh, yeah. and I feel bad about oh, it. I'll tell but, you one more thing, too, which is crazy. Speaking of being like on the top of a roller coaster and just shooting it down, I thought it was because they were talking about it on Impulsive. Like, if you, like, a girl's ever, like, um, texting you or something, um, and you're trying to show your buddies, hey, like, I'm talking to this girl or whatever, <laughs> I will admit. And, like, I've even told my girlfriend this because it's just funny. Um, <laughs> I'm the guy that, like, I've accidentally, well, I've screenshot it on purpose, but then I just admit it because, like, I sent it back to the girl. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, the top of the roller coaster, and instantly it's, like, butterflies. Just, like, what? And I was the stupid excuse ever. I, like, tried to be, like, uh, I just like wanted to make sure like our schedules would work out or something. I made up the stupidest thing. So finally I was like, yeah, I screenshotted it to my friends. And that's like the best thing you can do guys. So if that ever happens to you, which would probably only happen to me. Yeah. You just you'd man up and say, I screenshotted everything you said. <laughs> yeah. Back to you, Janelle. You got it, my man. Um, yeah, to kind of pull us back into the book here, I'll, I'll start up with uh, page 431. Cedric repays the debt to Harry by telling Harry how to solve the egg. He tells him to take a bath. And also, shout out to Cedric for giving Harry the password to the special access prefect bathroom. Because as we're going to find out here pretty soon, this bathroom is badass. Like, it's a really awesome bathroom. But uh, he is now... But the thing is, like, Harry is annoyed with Cedric. He's, like, mad because, like, he was she was um, holding hands with Cho, he was. And so he's like, I'm not going to take any advice from someone who just wants to walk down the hallway that's holding hands with my girl. <laughs> like, he's so he was upset. And, like, because we do find out in page 435, he goes, Well, he didn't need that sort of rubbishy help. Not from someone who kept walking down corridors hand-in-hand with Cho anyways. 
So from that, we can kind of deduce that Cedric and Cho are going steady now as boyfriend and girlfriend. That's what I took from that. Um, then page 435. This, is, this part sucks, but it's a big part of the book. Uh, we find out Hagrid's not teaching anymore. Uh, Professor Grubbly Pank, Plank took his place. And uh, this is kind of a foreshadow, actually, for what happens later on. Uh, she has a really cool lesson on unicorns. And the people in class actually, even even Ron got anger. And Ron and Harry got angry with Hermione because Hermione's like, "Wow, it was actually really nice to do a care of magical creatures class that was like, like uh, knowledgeable." And they thought, like, "Are you saying you don't like Hagrid? You don't want Hagrid back?" <laughs> like, like the you know they gave Hermione a hard time, and good for them because you gotta stick up for Hagrid, man. He's like he's the nicest yeah. guy, right? But um, guy. yeah, and so then I've got uh, two more things here. I'll put down uh, Rita Skeeter. I got to read that column that she wrote about uh, Hagrid and why he wasn't at... This kind of explains exactly why he wasn't at uh, work. So, Rita Skeeter, Dumbledore's giant mistake. Albus Dumbledore, eccentric headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, has never been afraid to make controversial staff appointments, writes Rita Skeeter, special correspondent. In September of this year, he hired Alistair Mad-Eye Moody, the notoriously jinx-happy ex-Auror, to teach defense against the dark arts a decision that caused many raised eyebrows at the Ministry of Magic given Moody's well-known habit of attacking anybody who makes a sudden movement in his presence. Mad-Eye Moody, however, looks responsible and kindly when set beside the part-human Dumbledore employs to teach care of magical creatures. Rubius Hagrid, who admits to being expelled from Hogwarts in his third year, has enjoyed the position of gamekeeper at the school ever since a job secured for him by Dumbledore. Last year, however, Hagrid used his mysterious influence over the headmaster to secure the additional post of Care of Magical Creatures teacher. Over the heads of many better qualified candidates. An alarmingly large and ferocious looking man, Hagrid has been using his newfound authority to terrify the students in his care with a succession of horrifying creatures. While Dumbledore turns a blind eye... Hagrid has maimed several pupils during a very series of lessons that admitted to being very frightening. I was attacked by a hippogriff and my friend Vincent Crabb got a bad bite off a flobber room, said Draco Malfoy, a fourth year student. We all hate Hagrid. We're just too scared to say anything. Hagrid has no intention of seizing his campaign of intimidation, however. In conversations with Daily Prophet reporter last month, he admitted to breeding creatures he has dubbed blast-ended scroots. Highly dangerous crosses between manicores and fire crabs. The creation of new breeds of magical creatures is, of course, an activity usually closely observed by the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Hagrid, however, considers himself to be above such petty restrictions. I was just having some fun, he says, before hastily changing the subject. As if this were not enough, the Daily Prophet has now unearthed evidence that Hagrid is not, as he has always pretended, a pure-blood wizard. He is not, in fact, even pure human. His mother, we can exclusively reveal, is none other than the giantess Fridwolfa, whose whereabouts are currently unknown. Bloodthirsty and brutal, the giants brought themselves to the point of extinction by warring among themselves during the last century. The handful that remained joined the ranks of he who must not be named and responsible for the worst mass muggle killings since his reign of terror. While many of the giants who served he who must not be named, they were killed by Aurors working against the dark side, Fridwolfa was not among them. It is possible she escaped to one of the giant communities still existing in foreign mountain ranges. If his antics during Care of Magical Creatures lessons are any guide, however, 
Fredwolf's son appears to have inherited her, her brutal nature. In a bizarre twist, Hagrid is reputed to have developed a close friend with the boy who brought around You-Know-Who's fall from power, thereby driving Hagrid's own mother, like the rest of You-Know-Who's supporter, into hiding. Perhaps Harry Potter is unaware of the unpleasant truth about his large friend, but Albus Dumbledore surely has a duty to ensure that Harry Potter, along with his fellow students, is warned about the dangers of associating with part giants. So, she sucks. Long story short, she <laughs> sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she she, like, Hagrid's the nicest guy, would never harm a fly, and she just wrote that, basically tarnishing his entire reputation that he's worked hard to build up. Because remember, mm -hmm. he was blamed for opening the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. And now this yeah. is thrown on here. Like, she, he just, this nice guy just can't get a break. She's and then the last thing I'll say is uh, page 444. I thought it was funny that Victor Crumb just goes for a leisure swim in the lake <laughs> in the middle of January. Like, foreshadowing. But, unbelievable. But uh, yeah. go ahead, man. Take it from there. Yeah, man. Uh, so I'm just going to say this one thing, and this will wrap up the prom thing, and then I'm actually going to jump all the way back to where you just were. Um, the last thing I was just going to say is I was just going to read this final fight between Hermione and Ron because it goes to show that, like, Ron could have gotten what he wanted if he did things the right way, like he could have. Um, so, of course, he's still being an ass, and Hermione, um, well, Ron goes, uh, well, Hermione goes, well, if you don't like it, you know what the situation is, don't you? Yelled the Hermione. solution. You know what the solution is. Solution, sorry. You know what the solution is, don't you? Yelled Hermione. Her hair was coming down out of its elegant bun now, and her face was screwed up in anger. Oh, yeah? Ron yelled back. What's that? Next time there's a ball, ask me before someone else does, and not as a last resort. Ron's mouth soundlessly... Um, Ron's mouth soundlessly like a goldfish out of water as Hermione turned turned her heel and stormed up the girl's staircase to bed. Ron turned to look at Harry. Well, he sputtered, looking thunderstruck. Well, that just proves she completely missed a point. Harry didn't say anything. He liked being back on speaking terms with Ron. Too much to speak his mind right now, but somehow he thought... Hermione had gotten her point across much better than Ron had. <laughs> like, it just, like a little child, like, you have to have the last word. <laughs> like, that's exactly what he did. So, fast forwarding now back to where you were. Um, I, because I, I had exactly what you had. I do want to bring up this point Malfoy is an ass. For some reason, I bring up all the jerks. But, like, when you were talking about Hagrid, it's like Malfoy, like, makes a point of it every time. And then he goes, well, I think this school should put an end to the oaf's teaching career, said Malfoy, his eyes glinting half-giant. And there was me thinking he'd just swallowed a bottle of Skelligro when he was young. None of the mummies or the daddies are gonna like this at all. They'll be worried he'll eat their kinds. <laughs> he says that and remember it was so funny right before we was like he was the one that originally ripped out the article he's like i got it right here <laughs> i got it right here for you <laughs> malfoy is such an ass man um and then the next one i'll uh bring up and then i'll turn it back over to you is so harry uh you know winds up seeing bagman um, with goblins in a pub 
and uh you know they were just like sitting there in a shadowy corner and he was basically thinking like they're up to something and bagman kept going up to him um and like almost trying to win harry over like he was like you know i mean i've really taken a liking to you harry like almost like trying to give him information and he did say like the reason about the goblins almost like to me tried to play it off like he was like well i don't really understand their language kind of thing like tried to play it off like it seemed like he was trying to be swift about it like trying to be you know play it well yeah because we know why he's he's yeah he's a con artist (laughs) exactly spoiler alert (laughs) um so yeah that was like a big kind of giveaway there so um yeah and then back to you man awesome so uh, from there, what I I just went straight to where they go uh, confront Hagrid because like that's when they start they they're talking in the three broomsticks about Hagrid and and all of that. So they decide they're just gonna take it upon themselves and talk Hagrid into uh, coming back <laughs> to work. So uh, I'll just go ahead and, and kind of pick up from there. Page four fifty two. Is that she's on a warpath and she like demands Hagrid open the door. She's banging on the thing. Oh, Hagrid, open up! <laughs> so uh, he's like, "You can't let that foul Skeeter woman do this to you, Hagrid. Get out of here! You're just being." And then the door opened, and Dumb- she like, found herself face to face with Dumbledore, and she was like super embarrassed. <laughs> and then she goes, uh, "We wanted to see Hagrid," she said in a rather small voice. And Dumbledore's like, "Yeah, <laughs> I surmised as much. <laughs> I could tell, <laughs> but." Um, thought that was pretty cool then on page 453 continuing that you know harry ron and hermione still steamed and this is what dumbledore says he goes uh harry ron and hermione still seem to want to know you so uh and this is something that he's like judging by the way that they were attempting to break down your door and this is something that uh is harry says something not very nice about rita skeeter and dumbledore's like i've temporarily gone deaf i couldn't hear you harry so all good <laughs> But uh, I wanted to read on page 454 the second paragraph here because this is just a key piece of wisdom. This is a favorite moment of mine. has nothing to do with the story. Just a great key piece of wisdom. This is what Dumbledore tells Hagrid. He says, Hagrid, if you are holding out for universal popularity, I'm afraid you will be in this cabin a very long time, said Dumbledore, now peering sternly over his half-moon spectacles. Not a week has passed since I became headmaster of this school, when I haven't had at least one owl complaining about the way I run it. But what should I do? Barricade myself in my study and refuse to talk to anybody? Like, that was just great. The fact that he said, if you're holding out for universal popularity, you're never gonna get it. So, I like that. that and that all led up to the conclusion where Dumbledore just says, I refuse to accept your resignation, Hagrid, and I expect you back <laughs> on work on Monday. So, with that, I will pass it back to you. No, I thought it was great. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Dumbledore is the man at this point in those precise moments. Um, real quick, just don't forget uh, for everyone out there. So actually, you know, Hermione goes off on Rita Skeeter when they're over at um, the pub. That's a foreshadow. <laughs> oh, sorry. I keep bringing up all the foreshadow. We'll bring that up later. But um, yeah, because that yeah actually that starts their whole conflict you know yeah because i was almost like something happens later yeah Yeah. so spoiler alert but um (laughs) you'll find that out later anyways uh uh feeding off what you were saying about dumbledore though just two lines he says that are absolutely hilarious because 
there's like everyone thinks of like Dumbledore as like the serious guy sometimes, and he does have that sense of humor where you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's the man. Um, when Hermione's like banging on the door, he says, uh, "Did you, did you by any chance hear what Miss Granger was shouting, Hagrid?" <laughs> Hermione, Harry, and Ron still want to still want to know you. Judging by the way they were attempting to break down the door, I have gone temporarily deaf, and I haven't any idea what you said, Harry, said Dumbledore, twiddling his thumbs and staring at the ceiling. (laughs) So I just thought that was great. Um, And uh, then, um, you know, I thought this was cool, was he... Uh, you know, he brought up his brother in that situation, which goes into one of my interesting facts. Um, just a small interesting fact there. Um, but, I mean, you know, Hagrid um, brings... We won't bring up foreshadowing. But basically, he's all, like, for... He's on the Team Harry squad, I would say. And um, Harry, this is with that big moment where... He finally, you know, the days come closer and closer. And it's very funny seeing people like how you saw, you know, Crumb just taking a, a dive and stuff. And Harry always waits to the last minute on these things. Just throwing that out there. Like, he is me. <laughs> he is me down to the T, man. And um, he finally decides to take Cedric's advice because he's got nothing to lose because he's waited so damn long. I'll throw that out there. And he said it was time to shelve his pride and see if Cedric's hint was worth anything. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll let you take it from there, man. That's, yeah, that's a perfect one because that's the next one that I'd be starting on. You know, um, Harry hated lying to Hagrid by saying he's almost got it worked out. And so lying to Hagrid wasn't like lying to anybody else. Because that's why, like, the, Harry's first real friend. And so he, that's when he's like, all right, you know what? Got to put Cedric's, t- like, hint to the test. So uh, Harry takes the invisibility cloak and Marauder's map to the prefix bathroom with the egg. Uh, that's page 458. Now, going on to page 459, I thought this uh, blonde mermaid painting was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's kind of a foreshadow, too, in a way. Um but when what with what Moaning Myrtle says about it, because she's about to make an appearance here, and how like you know he waited till all the bubbles were gone when Cedric was in there, and the um, the painting <laughs> was awake. The painting was awake, right? But I uh, thought that was pretty cool. Awesome. So then that, this is like this is what Harry thought about this bathroom. I'm gonna read this because I thought it was cool. Go His immediate it. reaction was that it would be worth becoming a prefect just to be able to use this bathroom. It was softly lit by a splendid candle-filled chandelier, and everything was made of white marble, including what looked like an empty rectangular swimming pool sunk in the middle of the floor. About a hundred golden taps stood all around the pool's edges, each with a different colored jewel set into its handle. There was also a diving board, long white linen curtains hung at the windows, a large pile of fluffy white towels sat in a corner, and there was a single golden frame painting on the wall, which featured a blonde mermaid who was fast asleep on a rock, her long hair over her face, and it fluttered every time she snored. So this this is a bathroom? Dude, it seems like a like I don't know, what you would find like in a 
deluxe resort <laughs> for like a a leisure area. It just it sounds more like a a mini water park than it does a, a bathroom, man. This is Here's Bill like, Gates' personal bathroom. Hundred percent. Talks about going into the bubbles that he would spray into it, all the different colors <laughs> to make it all foamy up. He got it all nice and warm, but uh, you know, that's just nonsense. I'll, I'll go, I'll go out past <laughs> that. But in page four sixty one, Moaning Myrtle does make a reappearance and actually kind of gives Harry the hint of what to do with the egg. Tells him to put it in the water and then open it. And so with that, I will go ahead and read the egg's clue, then turn it back to you. Once he put that egg under the water and opened it, the egg said, Come seek us where our voices sound. We cannot sing above the ground. And while you're searching, ponder this. We've taken what you'll sorely miss. An hour long you'll have to look and to recover what we took. But past an hour, the prospect's black. Too late, it's gone. It won't come back. And that is the entire... Uh, clue that was hidden in the golden egg and with that chase take it away yeah man no that was awesome um i about that song actually i think what the movie did really cool uh they sang it really well they're like above the ground like they had the whole vocals going man went over here you know uh it's perfect time for vocals because moaning myrtle is a no, I'm not gonna sing that one. We'll sing the buttons one. Loosen what, dude? I don't understand why you do this. They're children. They're 14. Stop. Jeez, <laughs> he's stop. naked in the tub. He he's took 14 his years off. old. 14. Under age. Shame on you. Shame on you. This is the adult. Uh, well, I'll fine. pull. Do I'll they, pull. Uh, shame. Shame, shame, shame. shame. <laughs> mm. <laughs> what did we call? What was that called? You gotta um, walk of atonement. Yeah, you gotta do your you gotta, walk of atonement. You need to make a walk of atonement for your shame. Oh, yeah. I love moaning myrtle though. <laughs> yeah, moaning myrtle. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, here's the way I pictured it. It could have been a little bit different, but this is how I read it and what I was perceiving. Because Moaning Myrtle, last time I checked, she's over 21. Because Moaning Myrtle has been Moaning around Myrtle since, died what, in 50 school. years? She died 50 she, years ago. She's fine. She's she's, fine. she's like 15 forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's sad. But no, she's fine. She's been around a long, long time. Unbelievable. Here was about to... About to find an older woman, an older lady, <laughs> much older, like a hundred years older. I'm just kidding now. Anyways, here's what really happened, right? We'll tell you the real story. Fine. No one likes to, no one likes to exaggerate a little bit on this show. We got to give you all the facts, all the facts. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, right? So, moaning Myrtle, um, of course, like I told Harry to open it under the water, right? But then, um. Uh, anyways, I put, you know, uh, if this was Game of Thrones podcast, I would have put something different, but I put, get close to Harry, you know, because, uh, Myrtle says, I'm not, no, her, Harry goes, I'm not wearing anything, Myrtle, and she goes, that foam, so it says, the foam was so dense that this hardly mattered, but he had a nasty feeling that Myrtle had been spying on him. From out of one of the taps ever since he arrived. The taps were the things that he turned the colors on, like putting the bubble bath in. 
I closed my eyes when you got in. I closed my eyes when you got in. <laughs> she said, blinking at him through the thick spectacles. You haven't been see- been to see me in ages. Yeah, well, said Harry, bending his knee slightly just to make an absolutely sure Myrtle couldn't say anything. But his head, I'm not supposed to come into your bathroom, am I? It's a girl's one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You didn't used to care, said Myrtle miserably. You used to be in there all the time. There was <laughs> there was a true... This was true, though, only because Harry, Ron, and Hermione had found Myrtle's out-of-order toilets at a convenient place to brew the polyjuice potion. Remember, that was year two. And then, of course, you know, um, he sees the song and everything, but one that really stood out here because he starts asking her... You know, what's under the water? And she's like, you know, he's like, would it be mer people that's under the water besides like just the giant squid, right? And he's got, he goes, um, he goes, I've got to go and look uh, for people who can't use their voices above ground, he said slowly. Or who could that be if voices could only be heard underwater? Water, then it made sense for them to belong to underwater creatures. He ran this theory past Myrtle, and she smirked at him. Well, that's what Diggory thought, she said. He lay there talking to himself for ages about it. Ages and ages. Nearly all the bubbles gone. Underwater, Harry said slowly. Oh, sorry. Underwater, Harry said slowly. Myrtle, what lives in the lake apart from a giant squid? Oh, all sorts, she said. I sometimes go down there. Sometimes don't have a choice if someone flushes my toilet when i'm not expecting it trying <laughs> trying not to think about moaning myrtle zooming down a pipe to the lake with contents of a toilet who's at well does anything in there have a human voice and that's when you know uh harry's eyes had fallen on the picture of snooze and mermaid on the wall and myrtle there aren't mer people in there are they and she goes ooh very good she said her thick glasses twinkling took diggory much longer than that so the biggest thing is like one is a big part happens where this actually proves true what she's saying about the toilet but i just picture myrtle spinning going ah it goes straight into the sewer with all the raw sewage and lands in the lake just fixtured there and then if she's ever gonna haunt anyone she goes right up through the sewer system so could you imagine being in the bathroom and it just shoots through you uh i don't know how they found me on the show i really don't i really don't with that i'll turn it over to jay nelly <laughs> all right i'm gonna pick up the pace a little bit and get us through a couple big moments here uh now we learn in page 465 that myrtle's body wasn't found for hours and that she actually haunted the person who found her, Olive Hornby, until Olive Hornby had to go get the ministry involved and make her like stay in the uh, toilet at the school. Now, this is where some big things happen. That's why I want to I want to get through these. There's some big moments here. Harry mm-hmm. gets like Harry ends up now that he knows a little bit about this stuff. He puts his like robe on, gets dressed, and he starts to leave. And he's about to go back to the tower, but when he's looking at the Marauders or map to see if anyone's around where Filch is, he noticed someone in snape's office now this is a foreshadowed moment but it's also an impact moment because it directs harry to go that way he sees barty crouch in snape's office 
and curiosity overtook him. So instead of going up to the dormitory and get away Scott clean, he goes towards there and he ends up being so like mm-hmm. paying attention to the map that he doesn't realize where he's at. He gets caught in that trick step that Neville always gets caught in. He gets like caught up to his knees and what ends up happening, the egg falls out of his hands, bounces down the stairs, opens up and the egg starts screaming. And keep in mind, it's one o'clock in the morning. So like this is a big no-no. He's out of bed after hours. Like he's not in the right area. He's in an invisibility cloak. He's like he, they said the invisibility cloak started to slip off him, but he grabbed it to pull it back over. And when he grabbed it, the Marauders map flew out of his hand and landed about six steps downwards from him. So this is a big issue too because now he's trapped in the staircase under the invisibility cloak. The Marauders map he didn't get a chance to clear it because it's standing six steps away. And then his egg is blasting its screechy noise, so everyone's gonna come find it. Now, this is when Professor Snape arrives on the scene, and he knows someone had broken into his office. So he, he said he seals his office with a spell nothing but a wizard can break. And so he said, he, he said, I want you to come help me search for the intruder. This is Snape talking about it. And then this is when Mad-Eye Moody makes his appearance. And isn't it just convenient that Mad-Eye Moody happened to be there around the same time in the same area? I'll say that yep. out loud. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Basically, what ends up happening is uh, uh, Snape tries to tell Professor Moody that he's blaming Harry Potter because he's like, I've seen that map before. Like he's under the invisibility cloak. He starts like reaching around, grabbing for stuff, like trying to catch him there. He's like, because he puts it together. And to Snape's credit, he's actually right this time. Like the eggs there, that map he saw when Lupin gave it to him, where like when Lupin came in from the last book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So right. he's put the pieces together and he's smart, but like. Mad-Eye Moody kind of shifts the direction. He's like, I'll, I'll be sure to tell Dumbledore how fast your mind jumped to Harry Potter, Snape. Some marks, <laughs> and the, there was a, it, this is more of a foreshadow, so I'll leave that sentence that he says, like some marks to, uh, take a while to rub off or whatever. I actually have that in my foreshadow, so I, don't, I won't read it now. But imagine this. If Snape actually reached for that map and he knows what it is, he's going to go ahead. There, there's going to be problems for two people. There's going to be problems for Mad-Eye Moody right there, and there's going to be problems for Harry, because that yep. map shows who is where in Hogwarts. So then if Snape grabs that map and looks down, Harry's in the stair, and Mad-Eye Moody's right next to him. And that's going to be yep. a very awkward conversation if it gets that far, but it doesn't <laughs> get that far. Uh, Moody uses a summoning charm and summons the Marauder's map. And that's actually a plot hole that I have. I'll save, you know... I'll talk about it briefly here, so that way it gives the audience something to chew on until we get there. What did Harry have to do to practice to accomplish the first task? It spent a whole lead-up telling us him practicing a summoning charm. You're telling me in Harry Potter, who's always kept his cool during dangerous situations and always kind of known what to do, forgets to use the summoning charm he's just been practicing half the year to get past the first task, he forgets to summon the Marauders map to him. He said he tried. <laughs> yeah, he said he tried to pull his wand out and clear the map, but he was too far away. Harry, you spent the whole first half learning the summoning charm <laughs> for the Firebolt. Summon the summon the Marauders map to you. You know it can be done because Moody just does it. So I thought that was ridiculous, but um, I'll give people the chance to suck on that. Um, but yes, and Moody actually asks to borrow the Marauders map. And that's also a foreshadow, but it's also a big moment too, because now he's in control of the Marauders map, and Harry doesn't know anything other than what he saw on the map, which was Barty Crouch in Snape's office. And with that, 
turn it back to you brother yeah man no that's what i was gonna say about that the only thing i could think of because i was thinking the same thing too because we actually talked about this last night debating that because that's a big moment right um i mean just so much could have gone wrong in that situation like so much could have gone wrong um the summoning tournament the only thing i can think of is maybe like if he was too loud like if he was like asio Accio, how do you say it? Accio. Accio. Accio is what I, I think Accio, Accio. yeah. <clears throat> like, if you like, maybe... Because, I mean, literally, like, they were on top of him, basically, is where they were. Like, maybe if they heard something from where he was at. Yeah, but it still took know. him a while to get there, so the time that he dropped it, he could have got him, got it before they yeah. came. I mean, and that's, he's not going to say it louder than how loud the egg is screaming while it's wide open, you know what I mean? The egg is wailing, mm-hmm. it's screeching sound at this point in time. If he just speaks in normal... And like the normal inside voice, he can get it, and it won't even be heard over the egg screeching. Yeah, and I think I think you hit that on the head. Um, did you mention how Moody, you know, kept a souvenir? Yeah, he, he, kept, he kept yeah. the map. Yeah, he kept the map. Yeah, yeah, okay, which is I guess what I said. That's going to be a huge issue. That's also a foreshadow. But like like uh-huh. I said, if he didn't keep the map and Harry grabs that map back, there's a lot of covers that will be blown. You know, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. No, definitely. Um. Yeah, uh, I just wasn't. Sure. I knew you said something about it, but I wasn't sure if you did because the whole foreshadowing thing. Um, but yeah. Uh, so at that point where I'm at, uh, I'm already on chapter twenty six, uh, the second task. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? No. The only thing I have is the next, like the first page, or the, the, I would say the second page of chapter twenty six was just that. Ron thinks that Moody thinks that Snape put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. And that ends up not being an accurate representation. But that's the only thing I have. And then I, I, the, that's me in Chapter 26. So take away your Chapter 26 and turn it back to me. And I got some. And then we'll keep it rolling. Cool. Good stuff. Um, did you want to start this one out? Because I know you said you wanted me to do this task, right? Yes. Yeah, you know what? Let me do that then. So I'll, I'll get yeah. us up to the point where the um, second task... Wait, what is, when does the second task begin? uh it's okay so yeah i've only got like like six before they yeah, um that's cool. they start the the one here <laughs> so page 41 i'm gonna go ahead and oh wait did i overdo that one there page 480 41 no i'm in the right spot so page 481 this is talking about the second task here before we get into the second task harry writes another letter to sirius uh, this one, you know, is not one that is written out on the page that I can read word for word. This is just like, obedient to Sirius's wish of hearing anything odd at Hogwarts, Harry sent him a letter by Brown Owl that night explaining all about Mr. Crouch breaking into Snape's office and Moody and Snape's conversation. So it's important to note that he sent Sirius another letter. Page 42, Ron and Hermione were giving him advice about how to breathe underwater for the second task, and he still hasn't been able to find anything. He's scrambling. You know, we're talking about giving it up to the last yeah. minute. They're, they're every, like, he's got Ron and Hermione's help. They're pilfering every single book in the library. They can find nothing on what's going to allow him to breathe underwater. Which, you know, we mentioned like two weeks ago, maybe even three weeks ago, when Moody was doing the Unforgivable Curses, he gave Neville a certain book that was a foreshadow, but that doesn't come into play now. We'll find that out later. But point is, is that uh, they're trying to help him scramble for the last minute. He's figured out the clue. He knows what he's going to have to do. He just doesn't know how he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, on page 483, Sirius sent a return letter, and it was just one sentence. It said, send date of next Hogsmeade weekend by return owl. 
And that's it. So now we know that Sirius is is in them. He's going to go see them for the first time since they uh, they met in Prisoner of Azkaban. Now, right. page 44, Hagrid's continuing Grubby Plank's classes on unicorns. He actually managed to capture two foals. And unlike adults, they're pure gold. So continue on about that. Unicorns turn silver around two years old, grow horns around four years old, go pure white when fully grown around seven years old. And so uh, the last thing here is in page 49, he grabs the invisibility cloak and broke into the library, reading through the books until past 2 a.m. when he accidentally fell asleep. And when he accidentally fell asleep, and I obviously skipped over the part where Ron and Hermione were taken down uh, by, uh, they, they, they were required, their presence was required, and Harry thought they were going to meet back up with him, but they never did, and there's a reason why. But anyways, uh, he went to the library to try to figure out on his own, read well past 2 a.m., accidentally fell asleep, and he wakes up with 10 minutes to go before the task, thanks to Dobby grabbing him, waking him up, and Dobby ends up giving him gillyweed, and from there, I'll let you take through the second task. Yeah, man. Um... So, uh, yeah, and you said um, that, you know, Ron and Harry already went off. By the way, there's this little part in here that Ron says, just basically showing how you said, you know, Harry waited to the last minute, like how screwed he really is. Ron goes, Harry, just go down to the lake tomorrow, right, and stick your head in. Yell at the mer people to give back whatever they've, they've nicked and see if they chuck it out. <laughs> best you can do mate <laughs> like you're screwed man <laughs> like you tried your best like whatever and they were going through different things like they were even discussing like you know try to become an animagus well that takes only so how long you don't have three years to figure that out man um they were trying like everything in the book like reading all the books like just some of the books they had was you know Wacky Warlords, Medieval Sorcery, Anthology of the 18th Century Charms, Dreadful Densies Deep, Powers You Never Know You Had, and What Do You Do When You're Wised Up? Like, just books off the shelf that they're just grabbing over and over. And this gets to the point, like, Harry's so stressed, you know, he takes the invisibility cloak and goes back to the library after all this is happening to, like, try to you know, figure something out. Like, literally, like, what I did last night. Like, I, I did, uh, not last night, but what I was talking about last week, the night before, right? And it, I love this here because it's exactly what every... I feel like... I know we have done this. Me and you have, and you can relate to it. Said all he could do for pulling... He was, like, pulling an all-nighter. And he was just counting, counting, like, the pages one hour at a time. And he was, like, one in the morning, two in the morning... The only way he could keep going was to tell himself over and over, next book in, next one, <laughs> next one. And I know we've been there before. Um, so, like, long story short, what happens is Harry, like, falls asleep because he's been studying for this thing so much. And he starts having this dream. And it was, uh, he, he starts hearing this voice and it's like, Harry Potter needs to hurry, uh, squeaked Dobby. And then the second task starts in 10 minutes, Harry Potter. But basically, here's what the a dream was. It's the dream was that uh, you had, um, he keeps hearing like, this hurts, ouch. And he's like, uh, he hears like someone like poking him. But what was going on was he was in the bathroom 
it with like the uh per, uh, perky what do you call them not perkins but um the prefix prefix bathroom with the mermaid like painting and she was like holding up the wand and she was like come and get it she giggled um, it was this firebolt that it was holding she was holding yeah, this the... firebolt oh yeah sorry not the wand uh yeah firebolt i meant the broomstick yeah the firebolt yeah giggle maliciously come on jump i can't harry panted snatching at the firebolt and struggling not to sink give it to me but she just poked painfully in the side with the end of the broomstick, laughing at him. That hurts. Get off. Ouch. Harry Potter must wake up, sir. Stop poking me. Dobby must poke Harry Potter, sir. He must wake up. Harry opened his eyes. He was still in the library. The invisibility cloak had slipped off his head as he had slept, and the side of his face was stuck to the pages where there's a... Um, Dude, imagine that. Like imagine like if he didn't wake up like like I'm not sorry I'm sorry imagine if uh no, his his head like of the invisibility cloak didn't come off like they would have no idea where he is he was he would have been fell asleep under an invisibility cloak and Dobby couldn't have found him lucky his head came off like while he was falling asleep but oh, yeah man yeah. we had ten minutes to go and then the second task starts right about to start the second yeah, task that's here. what I was gonna say so yeah ten minutes and then that's what you were saying was you know Dobby luckily like um he you know harry was saying he couldn't figure out a solution but dobby thank the lord figured out the solution for him and he was like harry potter this will do the task and he said it's too late dobby harry said helpfully i'm not doing the task i don't know how and then uh that's when here uh dobby said squeak dobby said harry potter will do the task Dobby knew Harry had not found the right uh, right book. Dobby knew Harry had not found the right book, so I found it for him. And then he was like, what? Dobby knows, sir. Potter has to go into the lake and find his wheezy, which you're going to find out what that is. Find my what? <laughs> and take his wheezy back from the people. What's a wheezy? You're wheezy, sir. You're Wheezy. Wheezy who is giving Dobby his sweater. So now you know Wheezy means Weasley. So we can see where that's going. So Dobby plucked a shrunken maroon sweater he was wearing over the shorts. Uh, like just to sh- like show like who he's talking about. And then he pulls Gives out. him the gillyweed. Start the second task. Man. Who cares? Start the second <laughs> task. He gives Dude, him the gillyweed. Like he gets part. down to the lake. <laughs> get, get, get to the good stuff. He gets the gillyweed and starts a second task. Fine. He gets Come the gillyweed from Dobby. I know that's the best part, and we have to skip it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> that we filtered out all the fun today. I'm just all the kidding. fun. Anyways, Talk about so he says pointless, gillyweed. pointless <laughs> conversation between Dobby and Harry. You didn't like that conversation? He saved the day. If it wasn't for Dobby, Dude, he wouldn't have done the task. Anyway, takes okay, two seconds short, to say that's yeah. what happens. <laughs> he gets the gillyweed. The gillyweed is basically these green rat tails that Dobby put together. And he says, what does it do? Said Harry, staring at the gillyweed. It will make Harry Potter breathe underwater. So long story short, you know, he can breathe underwater, right? So he goes out there and he's got to go, you know, do this task right now because he's got 10 minutes. So he gets out there and then, of course, um, you know, it describes that uh, the whistle echoed strongly in the cold. The still air stands erupted with cheers and applaud. 
without looking to see what the other champions were doing. Harry pulled it off, pulled off his shoes, socks, and put a handful of gillyweed out of his pocket, stuffed it into his mouth, and wadded uh, that was wadded into uh, the lake and walked into the lake. It was so cold he felt the skin on his legs searing as though this were fire, not icy water. His saddened robes weighed him down as he walked into the deeper. Now the water was over his knees, and his rapidly numbering feet were skipping over silt-flat, shimy stones. He was chewing the gillyweed as hard and as fast as he could. Now imagine this, right? He felt unpleasantly slimy, rubbery, like an octopus tentacles, waist-deep in the freezing water. He stopped, swallowed, and waited for something to happen. He could hear laughter in the crowd as they're just staring at him and knew he was must he must look stupid walking into the lake without showing any sign of magical power the part of him that was still dry was covered in goose pimples freezing half immersed in the icy water a cruel breeze lifting his hair harry startled to shiver violent started to shiver violently he avoided looking at the stands the laughter was becoming louder and there was there were cat calls of jeering from Slytherins. Then quite suddenly, Harry felt as though an invisible pillow had been pressed over his mouth and nose as he tried to draw breath. But it made his head spin. His lungs were empty, and he suddenly felt a piercing pain on either side of his neck. Harry clapped his neck around with his throat and felt two large slits just below his ears flapping in the cold air. He had gills. Without pausing to think, the only thing that made sense, he flung himself forward into the water. The movie, I thought, did a really good job of this, because I thought it was really cool the way he looked with the visuals. But Harry, right? So he takes the first gulp of the icy lake, goes into the water, felt like a breath of life. Headed into the, headed into the water, immediately his head stops spinning, and he's able to take, you know, just breathe normally. Uh, soothingly, he's able to use the gills. He stretched out his hands in front of him and started to stare at them. They looked green, ghostly underwater, and they had become webbed. They had become elongated, and and his toes were webbed too. It looked as though he had sprouted flippers. He swam deeper and deeper out toward the middle of the lake, his eyes wide, staring through eerily gray-lit water around him to the shadows beyond where the water became opaque. Harry was staring unblinkingly ahead of him, trying to discern shapes through the gloom. And then without warning, something grabbed hold of his ankle. Harry twisted his body around and saw a grindy low, a small horned water demon that we talked about before, poking out of the weed. Its long fingers clutched tightly around Harry's leg, its pointed fangs bored. Harry struck his webbed hand quickly inside his robes and fumbled with the wand. By the time he grasped, Two more grindy lobes have ridden out of the weeds and seized his handfuls of Harry robes, Harry's robes and were attempting to drag him down. Relshirio! Harry shouted, except that no sound came out, just a large bubble issued from his mouth, and it and his wand, instead of sending sparks of grindy lows, pelted them with with uh, what seemed to be a jet of boiling water. For where it struck them angry, red patches appeared on the green skin. Harry pulled his ankle out from the grindy low's grip 
as fast as he could, occasionally sending more jets of hot water over his shoulder at random. So he gets away there. Harry starts to slow down, slips his wand back in his pocket and his robes, back in his robes, and looks around, listening again. What's coming next? How? Uh, so here's my girl comes in here, shows up out of nowhere, <laughs> moaning Myrtle. How are we getting on? Harry Harry thought he was having a heart attack. And imagine me of like the conjuring, you know, and so he's like, Doof. like ooh, you just came out of nowhere. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. And then so she's floating hastily in front of him in front of him. I imagine it's just like Virgil and like Dante's Infernal Inferno. Like you have some weird ghost in front of you, almost like in a video game or something, like Mario with the little clouds front of him gazing at him through their thick with through her thick pearly glasses you want to try over there she pointed i want to come with you i don't like them much they always choose me when i get too close so here always chase me when i get too close when i get to choose me when i chase chase me chase me not choose me chase me they always chase chase, me chase me like my name there Correct. Yeah, because, you know, loosen up my buttons, baby. No, just kidding. Anyways, yeah, chase me when I get too close. Well, Harry kept swimming, right? And for what felt like 20 minutes, he was passing over the uh, the black, basically all the gunk in the water is basically what it is, the murky, swirled water. Um, well, at long last, he finally heard a snatch of a haunting mer song. And, you know, this is the song you were talking about, but it's like, and how long can you have to look and to recover what we took? Harry swam faster and soon saw a large rock emerge out of the muddy water ahead. It had paintings of mer people on it. They were carrying, uh, carrying and chasing what looked like a giant squid. Harry swam on past the rock, following the mer song. Your time's half gone. So, so... Uh, Terry, T-A-R-R-Y is what it actually says in the book. Terry, not lest what you seek stays here to rot. Very creepy. Um, a cluster of crook stone dwellings uh, stained with algae looms suddenly out of the gloom on all sides. Here and there at the dark windows, Harry saw faces. This reminded me of like Lord of the Rings when Frodo is being pulled down into the lake where you, like all the creepy stuff, right? And the faces... The faces that bore no resemblance at all um, to of the mermaids in the perfect bathroom. The mer people had grayish skin and long, wild, dark green hair. Their eyes were yellow as were broken teeth, and they were thick ropes of pebbles around their necks. They leered as Harry swam past. One or two of them emerged from the caves to watch him better. Their powerful silver fish tails beating the water spears clutched in their hands a whole crowd of mer people was floating in front of the houses that lined uh what looked like a mere vision of village square so cool like a city of mer people a choir of mer people were singing in the middle calling the champions towards them and behind them rose a crude sort of statue a gigantic mer person hewn from a boulder Four people were bound tightly to the tail of the stone merperson. So here's what we have here. The people tied to the merperson. Ron, he was tied between Hermione and Cho Chang. 
Hermione and Cho Chang to each of the other side, and then the other person, we they say looks like Fleur Delacour's sister, and that's what you find out. You have Fleur Delacour's sister in there. So Harry looks around. All the mer people were carrying spears. It appeared. He swam swiftly toward 17-foot-tall merman with a long green beard and a choker of shark fangs and tried to borrow a spear. The merman laughed and shook his head. Here he snatched up particularly a jagged rock, swam to the bottom, and attempted to unhook the ropes lying, uh, that was tying Ron to the bottom. After several minutes of hard work, the ropes broke apart and Ron floated unconscious to the top. Harry winds up, he doesn't see any of the champions at this point, and he's beat them there, so he's starting to wonder where they're at. He swims to the bottom and intends to start hacking Hermione's ropes to get her loose and rescue her. Harry starts being attacked, so at once, while he's hacking Hermione's ropes to release her, several pairs of strong gray hands seized him. Half a dozen mermen were pulling him away from Hermione shaking their green-haired heads and laughing. You take your own hostage, one of them said to him. Leave the others. No way, said Harry, but only two large bubbles came out. She's my friend too, Harry yelled, gesturing towards Hermione. And I don't want them to die either. Harry sees Cedric uh, start closing in behind him, so he just comes kind of out of nowhere. Um, he tells him, you know, I got lost. Fleur and Crumb are coming now, so expect Crumb soon. Well, Cedric like pulled a knife out his out of his pocket and set Cho free. So Cho gets released, floats up to the top. Harry saw something monstrous coming towards him. A human body in swimming trunks with the head of a shark. We find out who this is. Of course, he was practicing in a lake. He appeared to have transfigured himself, but badly. Victor Crumb. So Victor Crumb swims to the ropes biting them but because like he's transformed so bad as he's biting them the teeth aren't positioned right to release hermione from the ropes he's it was described as looking like smaller than a dolphin and harry was quite sure if crumb wasn't careful he was going to rip hermione in half harry hit crumb hard on the shoulder forcing his teeth to cut through the rope setting hermione free so harry winds up drawing his wand and threaten the mirror people to get out of the way. And they have into the count of three. Their yellowish eyes were fixed upon Harry's wand, and they looked scared that they might be a lot more of them than there were of him. But Harry could tell by the looks of it on their faces that they knew no more magic than a giant squid did. You've got until three, Harry shouted. A great stream of bubbles bust from him. But he held up three fingers to make sure they got the message. One, two, three. They scattered. Harry darted forward and began to hack the ropes binding the small girl on the statue. And at last, she was free. He, see he seized the little girl around the waist, grabbed the neck of Ron's robes, and kicked off from the bottom. It was a very slow work, as he could no longer use his webbed hands to propel himself forward. He worked with his flippers furiously getting to the top, but Ron and Fleur's sister was like a potato-filled sack dragging him back down. Mer people were rising with him. He could see them swirling around him with ease and watching him struggle 
through the water. He was drawing breath with extreme difficulty. He could feel pain on sides of his neck again. He was becoming very aware of how wet the water was in his mouth, yet the darkness was definitely thinning now. He could see daylight above them. He kicked hard with his flippers and discovered that they were nothing more than feet away. Water was flooding through his mouth into his lungs. He was starting to feel dizzy, but he knew light and air were only 10 feet above him. He had to get there. He had to. Harry kicked his legs hard and fast. It felt as though his very brain felt waterlogged. He couldn't breathe. He needed oxygen. He had to keep going. He couldn't stop. And then he felt his head break the surface of the lake in wonderful cold air. Uh, Clear air was making his wet face sting. He gulped down, feeling as though he had never breathed properly before. Panting, he pulled Ron and the little girl up with him. And Ron's like spitting up water and opens his eyes. Uh, where the and then the little girl is looking there. Ron tells Harry, um, "This is the big one here because Harry comes up last after everybody because of the time limit because he wanted to save everyone, you know, like heroism." But Ron tells him that Dumbledore had a plan. He wasn't just gonna leave him there and let him drown. That's pretty much what I was worried about. Hey, volunteer if your friend doesn't save you. Sucks to suck. <laughs> but no, they had a plan the whole time uh, in case he didn't get him. But. Uh, Florida Corps' sister, uh, her name is Gabri- uh, Gabrielle, uh, so she's alive. You know, Floor's really happy about it. Ron kind of likes it a little bit. <laughs> um, and then this is when, you know, Dumbledore, like, looks at this, called it the chief mer person, <laughs> speaking like mermish in that mer language, um, and he's, like, explaining everything that happened underneath the water. Um, Fleur kissed Harry and then Ron. Oh, yeah. Hermione Finally. got mad about that, too. I had that in here, but... <laughs> not happy, my friend. Not happy. Uh, I'll let you talk about that part. But, um, yeah, so... And then at that point, you know, um, it was Merchief Mercus is who they called it, informed him. And uh, Fleur, uh, after they explained the situation was awarded 50 points for her excellent bubblehead charm that was performed. She was not but, awarded 50 points. She was awarded 25. Oh, well, was, I wasn't done yet. I you said you just said you just said that she was awarded 50 points. Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. So she was awarded 50 points for her excellent bubble charm, but because she failed to rescue her hostage, she received 25. Well, she wasn't awarded the points for having it. It was just out of 50. Well, that's the way I wrote it down because I figured she won the 50 for the bubblehead charm. No, she didn't. You can't. Oh. Okay, right. Well, fine. She got 25 points. I was going to give her benefit of the doubt. But yeah, because she didn't complete the task, didn't save anyone. The only person <laughs> she saved was herself. Uh, Cedric received 47 points. He actually do have this right here. I know what points they are. Um, he did show excellent use of the bubblehead charm. And rescuing Cho Chang, but he was one minute outside the time limit. Victor Crumb was second to return with his hostage, but had an incomplete form transfiguration, so he was awarded 40 points. Harry scored 45 because of great use of the gillyweed, but returned last well outside the time limit for trying to rescue all his friends. Most agreed that was very honorable, noble, the right thing to do, except for, of course, Kakarot. There is some hinting there. He did not like that. Um, and then uh, Harry was now tied for first place 
uh, with Cedric, and uh, I'll let you take it take it from there, man. Cool, awesome. I'm just gonna bullet point like my favorite parts throughout the uh, the task. You just went through the whole thing. I'll just talk about like like ju- jump on the ones I liked. Yeah. Uh, Morning Myrtle pointing him in the right direction. I thought it was cool. The Granny Lou was attacking him. That was dope. He had he got to get out of that. Uh, Harry being the first to arrive, seeing all the people that were there, Ron, Hermione, Joe, and Fleur's sister. Uh, Harry going into hero mode and making sure he saves all the hostages. Because honestly, if he would have just taken his and got back up and thought like, hey, is Dumbledore really going to let these kids die under their lake? Like, where was his thought process? It was just gone. But uh, right. if he, he could have been the first one back, right? He's the first one there. And then that's when, you know, they start arriving one by one. Cedric appears, takes Cho. Crumb arrives with a shark head. And Harry actually has to give him the tool to free Hermione. He gives Crumb the rock. So, like, Crumb only got her because Harry helped him. And then, you know, Fleur just didn't show up at all. <laughs> she was she didn't go. So he decides he's going to free her, too, and, you know, takes off. And then Ron gets on Harry's case, like he said, about being a hero and taking the song too seriously. He's like, dude, Dumbledore's not going to let us die. Like, what's your problem? And then you know, talking about Dumbledore speaking Mermish. Uh, to the uh, Mercantis, that was the, the she, that's what you call it because she's it was the chieftain was actually a female. The Mer people's chief is a female, the Mercantis. Um, Mercantis, okay. Cool. Yeah. So Fleur, just you know, like you said, she used the bubblehead charm, got twenty five points. Cedric also used bubblehead charm, forty seven. Crom incomplete form of transfiguration, forty. Harry used Gillyweed. They awarded him for his moral fiber, and he was the first to get there. He ended up getting forty five. Like you said, he's tied with first with Cedric, and so now to the, to the new stuff that I've got. The third and final task takes place on June 24th, which as documented in page 507. Uh, page 508, he said, Harry said, next time he was in Hogsmeade, Harry decided that he was going to buy Dobby a pair of socks for every day of the year. So, Because Dobby really saved his butt, but we also know later on what ends up happening and how Dobby knew the uh, answer to this riddle. So that's a little bit of a foreshadow. Um Page 509. I love the fact that Ron embellishes the story of the second task. He said it starts off with, like, the truth where, like, you know, yeah, they, they said that they were going to take him, put him under a deep sleep, and they'd be woken when they get back up to the beginning. But then he started, like, now Padma Patil's real interested in it again. Remember, Padma's a guy he took, the girl he took to the Yule Ball, and now she's interested all of a sudden again. And so now he wants to embellish the story. He goes... Ron was telling a thrilling tale of kidnap in which he struggled single-handedly against 50 heavily armed merpeople who had to beat him into submission before tying him up. But I had my wand hidden up my sleeve, he assured Padma Patil, who seemed a lot keener on Ron now that he was getting so much attention and making a point of talking to him every time they passed in the corridors. I could have taken those mer idiots any time I wanted to. Then Hermione says, what were you going to do, snore at them? But <laughs> So I thought that was funny there. Um, going on to page 510... Sirius sends a letter telling them where to meet him. Be at the stile at the end of the road, out of Hogsmeade, past Dervish and Bangs at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Bring as much food as you can. Cool. Page 511 through 512. I'm going to read Rita Skeeta's column. Harry Potter's secret heartache. A boy like no other, perhaps yet a boy suffering all the usual pangs of adolescence, writes Rita Skeeter. Deprived of love since the tragic demise of his parents, 14-year-old Harry Potter thought he'd found solace in his steady girlfriend at Hogwarts, muggle-born Hermione Granger. Little did he know that he would be shortly suffering yet another emotional blow in a life already littered with personal loss. Miss Granger, a plain but ambitious girl, seems to have a taste for famous wizards that Harry alone cannot satisfy. Since the arrival at Hogwarts, Victor Crumb, the Bulgarian seeker and hero of the last Quidditch World Cup, Miss Granger has been toying with both boys' affections. 
Chrome, who is openly smitten with the devious Miss Granger, has already invited her to visit him in Bulgaria over the summer holidays and insists he's never felt this way about another girl. However, it may not be Miss Granger's doubtful charms that have captured these unfortunate boys' interest. She's really ugly, says Pansy Parkinson, a pretty and vivacious fourth-year student. But she'd be well to making a love potion. She's quite brainy, and I think that's how she's doing it. Love potions are, of course, banned at Hogwarts, and no doubt Albus Dumbledore will want to investigate these claims. In the meantime, Harry Potter's well-wishers must hope that the next time he bestows his heart on a worthier candidate. And that's their little thing for Rita Skeeter's column. Awesome. Uh, page 515... Severus Snape reads that out loud in class. Keep in mind, like that's like a teacher reading the note that you gave your friend. Like I passed a note to Chase, and it was inappropriate, <laughs> and the teacher grabs it, then reads the note out loud in front of class. We're screwed. So that Super was messed up. Snape's kind of messed up for that. And at that point, that's when he said he's gonna break up the love triangle. <laughs> he makes Harry go, <laughs> makes Harry go up to the front of the dungeon room. So he's like in the very front. And he actually starts accusing Harry of breaking into his office and stealing the stuff. But uh, that's where I'll leave it before I get to Sirius and the trio reuniting. And I'll pass it back to you if you wanted to add any small things in there before we keep it rolling. Yeah, man. No, I thought that was great. Uh, I love that conversation between Snape. But yeah, next thing I would say is, uh, so keeping it rolling, right? Um, so Dobby... Uh, like uh stole like it was brought up in that conversation with snape right when he was accusing them of you know his exact words were like you stole gillyweed and you also stole the broom slang well it was actually because the broom slang was from when they were making the polyjuice potion back in you know year two and then the gillyweed well also kind of a kind of a foreshadow too Boom Slang Skin was also stolen this year for the same reason, just for different people. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's, a, that's another, another point there. That's good stuff. Um, and then, you know, they kind of go back and forth. Um, but this is when, I do want to say Snape kind of does get nasty. And this goes into my interesting facts. Because here he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Here he lied coldly. <laughs> he goes, you were out of bed last night at at my office when it was broken into snape hissed i knew it potter now mad eye moody might have joined your fan club but i will not tolerate your behavior one more nighttime stroll in my office potter and you will pay and then that's when snape shows him how do you say it? it's the veritasium veritasium it's veritasierum veritasierum Veritasierum. Good stuff. Yeah, which is, uh, he goes, a truth potion so powerful that three drops would have you spiraling your innermost secrets for the entire class to hear, said Snape vicariously. Now, the use of this potion is controlled by very strict ministry guidelines, but unless you watch your step, you just might find your, <laughs> find your, uh, uh, slips you shook uh, the crystal bottle slightly um, right over your evening pumpkin juice and then Potter 
then we'll find out whether you've been in my office or not. <laughs> like, who, in front of a whole class, remind you. Like, talk about embarrassing. Like, necessary? Like, he's literally, like, basically threatening to waterboard <laughs> this dude in front of the class. <laughs> Insane, man. And then last one, and I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Um, You know, this is kind of a big one, is Kakarot winds up, Kakarot, uh, did I say that right? Kakarot, Kakarot to us. Kakarot, to... sorry, I'm thinking yeah. of the Kakarot, uh, showed Snape, uh, we don't know exactly what it is yet, I'm pretty sure we can assume. Big foreshadow. Mark... <laughs> yeah, 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 big foreshadowing, not to bring it up, but yeah, his arm, we'll just leave it at that, and uh, I'll let you take it from there, man. All right, so now what I've got here is page 520. Uh, we finally get a reunite, like a reunition, I should say, of Sirius and our trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Uh, he, they meet him outside the gate at Hogsmeade. He's at a dog. He's still in the dog form right now. They climb up to his little cool area, and they, uh, they kind of catch up. One of the cool things I liked what Sirius had said too is. Uh, when he was talking about Barty Crouch and how he thought Hermione had a good measure of him as a person, I know a lot of this conversation I put in foreshadowed events because it really does foreshadow everything. So I'm only going to have a couple things I'm going to say from here that are favorite moments because the rest will go into in, in foreshadows. But uh, one of the things he did say that I like that's just a cool moment is that uh, if you want to know what a man's like, take a good look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. So I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, page 526. We learned Mr. Crouch gave the order for Sirius to be sent to Azkaban without a trial. Uh, there's other big moments in here too. Like his someone's mentioned that I will wait for foreshadowed moments, foreshadowed events to tackle. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kind of skip past that part for now because it's going to come up later on. But page 535. Harry, Ron, and Hermione go down to the Owlery to give Dobby his thank you gifts, which are socks. Uh, not the Owlery. I'm sorry. The kitchen. And then, uh, then this is where we learn that Winky has been getting drunk daily off of butterbeer. She's drinking <laughs> six bottles a day, yeah. and uh, for them it does affect them because they're smaller in composition. And Harry's like, "Yeah, they're not too strong." He's like, "It is for us house elves, Harry Potter, sir." But uh, yes, and then this is the part where I was—we were talking about Hermione presses the house elves too hard about equal rights, and they basically kick them out of the kitchen. Like, here's your extra food. Okay, goodbye. Like, they didn't want to hear what Hermione had said. Like, even Dobby's like, Miss, will please leave the Dobby out of this. Like, I don't want to, like, yeah. no, 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 no. But uh, I'll pass it back to you. <laughs> no, 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 you haven't confessed. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, did you, are you saving it for foreshadowing all, all kind of the history on Crouch and all that yes. stuff, right? Okay, yes. Cool. Gotcha. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Because I was like, that's pretty important, but I get it. A hundred percent. It's all, I mean, it's all foreshadow, though. That's the thing. Yeah. No, it, it definitely is. Um, so, so where, that where point, I'm at right now is right when they kicked them out of the kitchens, if you, if you want to get to that. Or if you have some stuff before that, I'm not even sure. No, that was all pretty much it. Um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, she's basically turned into, like, a drunk. Like, I hate to say that. Winky, she's, winky, like, yeah. Embarrassing herself in front of <laughs> yeah. the elves. Uh, Winky is, you know, like she's almost like uncontrollable. Um, just a, a couple things here. So after uh, this, so like, you know, Madame Maxine actually tries to visit Hagrid at one point, but he wants like nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, and then you know, I said 
you know, she definitely had that confrontation with Rita Skeeter, Hermione did. Um, and what happens is she gets this, uh, like, cut and pastey kind of letter as if like someone like put it together like like a ransom note almost like how they used to do the old ransoms cut the letters out of the magazine yeah yeah creepy man and uh what's crazy what's about to come up and happen this was like kind of like a big thing when the books came out like it was almost like even on like the covers they were like showing illustrations of it and stuff but so it says you are a wicked girl harry potter deserves better go back where you came from muggle and then, like, Hermione opened up the last envelope, and yellow-green liquid smelling strongly of petrol gushed over her hands, which began to erupt in large boils. Undiluted, a bo- how do you say it? Bubotuber pus. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Is that how you say it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, said Ron, uh, picking up the envelope and gingerly sniffing it. and Like, it's all over her hands. And then uh, another one said... Um, I read in with Weekly about, uh, about the, you know, which Weekly, about how you are playing Harry Potter false, and that the boy has had enough hardship, and I will be sending you a curse by next post as soon as I can find a big enough envelope. Like, Hermione's in some, like, mess right now. Like, she's getting, like, threats through the mail, man. And, um... Yeah, last thing, and I'll turn it back over to you, is Hagrid shows the class the Nifflers, which um, Nifflers I've shown just a little bit in, like, Fantastic Beasts. I'm not really a big fan of that movie, but you can see them in there. Um, And, uh, you know, basically what they were doing was they were spitting gold into, like, people's hands, which I thought was, like, kind of cool. Like, it's almost like making money kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, over to you, man. Yeah, just two small things about the Nifflers is that they're used for tracking treasure and finding it underground. And uh, they had a contest, like which one of the Nifflers that you picked is going to get which person the most coins. The reason I think that's an important part that I put in my favorite moments is because, number one, Ron wins the contest for once in his life, which is nice. Number two, (laughs) like Hagrid tells Goyle, like, don't try to steal it. It's not going to matter because it's leprechaun gold that's going to disappear in a few hours. That's a big moment. Because that then it goes into Ron asking Harry why he never told him about the gold disappearing that Ron gave him at the Quidditch World Cup for the Omnioculars. And like Harry's like, well, I guess I didn't really realize it was gone. And like Ron starts getting the poor me, I'm so poor, I hate being poor thing going. He's like, <laughs> he's like must be nice to not notice a handful of gold missing, Mr. Harry. It must be real nice. But anyways, uh, page 549. I, I was laughing about this with you earlier today. Um, Mrs. Weasley sends Easter eggs to the, uh, the everybody, and Harry and Ron get like eggs the size of dragon eggs, and she gives yeah. Hermione small chicken eggs, that, like like because she reads Witch Weekly. Like <laughs> Hermione's like, does your mom happen to read Witch Weekly? And Ron's like, yeah, she does. She gets them off the recipes. So now Mrs. Weasley thinks that Hermione's treating Harry poorly when it's just not true. But I can't believe Mrs. Weasley would succumb to that kind of gossip. But I guess for yeah. someone who loved Professor Lockhart like she did. It's not too surprising, but uh, yeah, I'm going to read Percy's letter regarding Mr. Crouch, and then I've only got a few more after that, so I'll turn it back over to you before I finish up with my uh, favorite moments, but the letter that Percy wrote back to Ron said, as I am constantly telling the Daily Prophet, Mr. Crouch is taking a well-deserved break. He is sending in regular owls with instructions. No, I haven't actually seen him, but I think I can be trusted to know my own superior's handwriting. 
I have quite enough to do at the moment without trying to quash these ridiculous rumors. Please don't bother me again unless it's something important. Happy Easter. So with that, I will take it, uh, toss it over to you. Yeah, man. Um, just a couple things right before Percy's letter. I thought it was cool. Like it shows just how much of a, like a tool, I guess, but not really giving a giving a shit. Movie, Moody, like his test in the class. It's a rigorous test of hex deflection. <laughs> that many of them were nursing small injuries like doesn't care like this dude like you had to like take on curses and just see how much you can take it now you're doing hex deflections this guy just does not care um turning people into ferrets man uh hermione kept getting like howlers in the mail as well um she personally put on a vendetta against rita skeeter and said i'll do it on my own so Good for her standing up. And she was also studying magical methods of eavesdropping, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then the last one I'll say here, this is when uh, a big moment really happens and McGonagall holds Harry back in transfiguration class and says, you are to go down to the Quidditch field at 9 a.m. where Mr. Bagman will tell you about the third task. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you. That's perfect, because that's where my next moment is, is when they go down to figure out what the third task is. So page 551, we learn that the third task is a maze where to win, you must be the first to grab the Triwizard Cup at the center of the maze. And there'll be creatures and spells to be broken and etc. right? Now, the important part is, is like, how do they, like, how are they going to make this fair? Like, who between, like, who's in first place right now all the way down? So how they're going to do it is they're going to let the people who are in first place go in at the same time and then after a certain amount of time, the third place person will go. And then the, after another certain amount of time, the last person will go. So that way, they all equally have a chance to try to get to the cup. But you have an advantage if you're in first place, second place, or whatever. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'm actually just going to go ahead and finish my favorite moments right here because I only got like five more. Um, cool. I, uh, I talked about Victor Crumb because like, I'm not going to say too much about the madness of Mr. Crouch in favorite moments because that chapter is basically all foreshadow. So mm -hmm. if I don't have a lot of dialogue that you have in there, it's because I saved it for foreshadow. Um, 552, Victor Crumb, an international Quidditch player, 18 years old, is jealous of Harry's 14-year-old self and his friendship with Hermione. Thought that's a bit ridiculous. Like, bro, yeah. you're you can like you're legally allowed to drive a car and you're mad at a 14-year-old and his relationship with his best friend. They grow up. Uh, I did think it was kind of cool though on page 553 that Victor Crumb tells Harry that he flies very well. That's like for me, if like, I don't know, let's say Tom Brady come up to me and be like, yo, you throw a football really well. I'm like, oh, excuse me? Okay, thank you, sir. There, sir. Thank you. Sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> and then 553, this is some big moments that are happening. Mr. Crouch appears staggering out of the Forbidden Forest. Harry in page 556 goes to get Dumbledore. And Snape's kind of being like a dickhead as usual. Trying, he's like trying to get through the gargoyle, and Snape's like, "I told you, Mister Dumbledore is busy. Harry, you can't <laughs> see him right now." And Harry's like, like freaking out. And Dumbledore, like, you know, being the guy who shows up at the last second, <laughs> opens like the thing on his own. He said, "Like, what's going on? Like, what's the problem?" Harry says, "It's Mister Crouch. He's acting crazy. He's out of his mind. Let's go." And Dumbledore follows him. So Harry returns with Dumbledore to find Victor Crumb unconscious and Mister Crouch gone. Page 562 and 562, Kakarov arrives and is furious because his guy has been attacked. 
starts yelling at Dumbledore, then spits at Dumbledore, and then Hagrid loses his mind, grabs him up by, like, the collar, throws him against the tree, and tells him to apologize, and Dumbledore's like, hey, Hagrid, take Harry up to the school, we ain't doing this like this, like, Hagrid, like, you know, like, Dumbledore <laughs> would need body- bodyguard anyways, and then... The last favorite moment I have before we I jump into uh, foreshadow events and I'll let you finish your favorite moments first though before we do that is uh, this last thing it's that the the paragraph starting with you will take Harry back to school this says it says you will take Harry back to school Hagrid Dumbledore repeated take him right up to the Gryffindor Tower and Harry I want you to stay there anything you might want to do any owls you might want to send they can wait until the morning do you understand me so like. Dumbledore can kind of read minds too in a way, man. He's like, I know you want to write to Sirius, so no, hold off. And so, you know, Harry, you know, d- d- does. He-, he follows that instruction from Dumbledore. But those are all of my favorite moments, you know, from chapter 22 through chapter 28. I'll let you finish yours and we'll get right into uh, the foreshadowed events. Yeah, no, that was great stuff. You hit everything pretty much right on the head because I'm assuming, you know, what happens to Crumb. And as far as, like, Hagrid's, like, hut, right, and what they see there, all that's in foreshadowing, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> gotcha. That's what I oh, thought. Yes. I was like, yeah, cool. Um, other than that, man, I mean, you pretty much had all of mine. Um, I'm just making sure I got all mine in there. Uh, the last one I had, and then that'll pretty much wrap us up here. Um, this was when... Uh, Hagrid like actually gets Madame Maxine's number so I was like okay like he was like I've got her number now uh, and then you know it's just well, kind of like I guess a full circle moment y- maybe yeah so the number though I want people to understand that there's that's like a that's a way of speaking it's not like he actually got her physical cell phone number like when he says I got her number now it's like like he, he got like, her back um, yeah, like yeah. he's getting be- one back. Yeah, better, exactly. Right? I just, yeah. I know that some people are gonna be like, "Oh, he got her number. They got cell phones in the Wizarding <laughs> yeah, World." No, no, I just wanted to, I wanted to explain no. that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounded weird the way I said it. And the well, way, then that's like, how that's how it's like, written. Like, I mean, that's what all wrong. But yeah, sorry. I mean, that's how it's written in the book, though. So I mean, it's not like he said anything wrong. That's how it's said. I just wanted to clarify for the people. <laughs> like, yeah, he didn't no, actually get a phone number. Yeah. And that can be, like, when you read it, too. At first, you're kind of like, wait, like, you got her number? And you're like, oh, no, that's not what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, that's all I had. That's that's good stuff for standout awesome. moments. Then we're going to go right into four-shot events here, and there is some good ones. So we'll do the same sort of deal. Mm-hmm. I'll run through five, run through five, and then, you know, well, especially towards the end of this, we'll have a lot of, like, the dialogue between like, Crouch and Harry and, and Dumbledore and Snape. There's a lot of stuff going on here in Mad-Eye Moody. But I'll start back at page 386 with the with the Yule Ball. The first thing I have is that it's mentioned by name. So that, that comes to pass here quickly. Uh, page 386, Lavender and Parvati Patel giggle and look at Harry. That's a foreshadow because Harry ends up taking Parvati Patel. Mm-hmm. Uh, page 393, Fred and George want to borrow Ron's owl to send a letter. That's a foreshadow for who they're trying to get in contact with. Page 396, Harry forgot to add a bezor to his antidote potion, and a bezor comes up real huge in two books. That's a real big moment there. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I'll have for my four shows before I turn it over to you is Cho tells Harry she agreed to go to the Ewell Ball with Cedric, and basically what that does, it foreshadows the relationship of Cho and Cedric and why after the events of this book transpire, there's a weird kind of... Uh, 
I would say a wall that Cho puts up next year, and it's interesting. It's weird, right? Yeah. So those are the ones I'll put for my four shadows for now. I'll let you take the next five, and we'll keep running. Yeah, and I can I can run through mine really quick. Uh, so uh, just like my first five, I'll run through them really quick. Uh, Ron in chapter twenty two, the unexpected task. Uh, you know when they're gearing up for all this stuff. Ron comments and tells harry that like girls will just be lining up to him at the yule ball uh it's a little bit ironic but also like foreshadowing because it actually did happen right um the other one is uh uh from there like you went over the cho Chang thing but hermione tells ron that like she can't go with him because she's going with someone else <laughs> it like brings up a really big problem with ron right um the other one here is I put is really easy. I put Ron's an ass, but you know when he's like, it foreshadows really like Harry and Jenny because he's like, Jenny, you can go with Harry. So that's like a foreshadowing moment. And last one, I'll let you turn it right back over to you. Um, Harry asks Privardi if um, there's anyone that she thinks Ron can go with, and then she instantly thinks Hermione Granger, and she's shocked like she's already going somebody so with that i'll turn it back over to you man awesome honestly you leaving off right there with Ginny and parvati pretty good spot because on page 399 i've got a little evidence to support our claims there and uh basically uh she tells like Ginny stops smiling in reference because this is when harry asked out cho and so when so here it goes it goes i I asked her to go with me just now, Harry said dully, and she told me, meaning she told him that she's going with Cedric Diggory. Ginny had suddenly stopped smiling. Now, if you read that quickly, you might think, oh, she feels bad for Harry because she said no, but I think it's a different thing I that she stopped so smiling that he asked somebody else. So 100%. I thought that was crazy there. And then page 401, it even says, when uh, Ron tells me, Ginny, you can go with Harry, and I'll just, and Ginny says, I can't. And she went scarlet too, like her face got red. I'm going to go with Neville. He asked me when Hermione said no, and I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to go otherwise. I'm not in the fourth year. She looked extremely miserable. I think I'll go and have dinner now, she said, and got up and walked off to the portal with her head bowed. She's mad at herself because she could have gone with Harry if she just told Neville no. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I think that was a big one. Page 14, uh, Crumb was accompanied by a pretty girl in blue robes that Harry didn't know. Well, then we figured out who that was. <laughs> that was Hermione. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Page 417, Dumbledore characterizes the room of requirement in the last paragraph. And I'll read that for you. The mm-hmm. page 417, he goes, Oh, I would never dream of assuming I know all of Hogwarts' secrets, Igor, said Dumbledore amicably. Only this morning, for instance, I took a wrong turning on the way to the bathroom and found myself in a beautifully proportioned room I had never seen before, <laughs> containing really rather magnificent collections of chamber pots. When I went back to investigate more closely, I discovered that the room had vanished. But I must keep an eye out for it. Possibly it's only accessible at 5 during the morning. Or it may only appear at the quarter moon. Or when the seeker has an exceptionally full bladder. So he actually <laughs> foreshadows the room of requirement, which we've talked about in the past books too. And Is then the that... last one before I oh, turn sorry, it over. Not to hold oh, I just had yeah. a question about that. Do you think he's really foreshadowing that though? Because this is after year one. Well, like what do they what do they use next book all the time? Fair enough. Yeah. Like when, when, <laughs> when like they have those meetings, where do they go to learn? You know. Yeah. That's so a, that's a really good point. <laughs> good call. It's all you, man. 
And then, no, I just got this last one. I'll turn it back over to you. Is uh, Fred and George accosted Bagman after his dance with McGonagall, and Bagman, like, kind of shakes them off. And so that's a foreshadow for their conflict. And so I'll pass the uh, other next five of uh, foreshadows over to you, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, basically, all these three are Ron and Hermione. So Ron asks Hermione who she's going with to the ball uh, and gets jealous on that. And then, of course, Hermione is with uh, Crumb, and Ron walks right past her, not even looking at her, acknowledging her or anything, just silent. And then the other, th- uh, the third one here is Ron uh, is staring at Hermione, dancing with Crumb. Um, and then he just sits down, like I was saying, the butterbeer, and Harry's there, and he's not even talking to Harry. Um, so foreshadowing on that. Uh, and I'll do two more, turn it back over to you. Is um, uh, So you mentioned, you know, the Cho-Chang thing with Cedric already, but uh, so Ron, again, uh, this is when he's calling, you know, Victor Vicky at this point. Uh, that's just more foreshadowing between them two. And then... Ron sees floor decor loosen up her buttons, baby. <laughs> Getting busy over there in those bushes, yeah. With Roger Davies? Uh, What's that foreshadow, though? I was thinking, well, see, here's here's what I was thinking. It foreshadowed, I guess technically you could say their relationship, because he got a little kissy. Remember that? Little kissy? I'm the cheat. <laughs> I guess that's more like, that's more like Ron just pouting that's more irony than anything i guess okay we'll skip that one i'll give you one more so uh back to hermione and ron um so hermione gives ron a dirty look uh when she's telling crumb uh good night outside uh and that you know they're still going back and forth to each other and i'll let you take it again my man all right so uh i have so well i i want you to catch up with me so i don't have any more for the yule ball at the time so if you got any more for the yule ball Say them now, because I'm actually going on into uh, Igor Kakarov busting in Snape's classroom. So okay, do you ha- so let me catch up to there real quick. Um, last one was, you know, Ron and Hermione had that huge argument at the end where she was like, well, if you had asked me early enough, you know, if you had just man up and basically asked me, that's a big foreshadowing. Um, and you're on chapter Ooh, 24. Wait a second. I messed up a little bit. It's not. It's not him busting into the uh, classroom. It's them outside by the hedges in the Yule Ball. So no, I am actually there. Okay. So gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, this is um, this foreshadow here. Uh, it's it's talking about Severus Snape and Eeyore Kakaroff. They're talking outside of the Yule Ball in that little rosebush area. So the the one I'm gonna read it says, I don't see what there's a fuss about, Igor. Severus, you cannot pretend this isn't happening. Kakarov's voice sounded anxious and hushed, as though keen not to be overheard. It's been getting clearer and clearer for months. I'm becoming seriously concerned. I can't deny it. Then flee, said Snipe's voice curtly. Flee, and I'll make your excuses. I, however, am remaining at Hogwarts. That's a foreshadow of something that, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's cool stuff (laughs) later on. But that's a big foreshadow for events concerning Kakarov and Snape. Mm -hmm. Uh, Page 427. Uh... So Harry was trying not to listen to Hagrid and Madame Maxime's conversation. And while he was doing that, he took interest in a beetle crawling along the stone reindeer's back. That beetle is a little bit of a foreshadow. <laughs> and then, then now I'm actually caught up right with you because my next foreshadow, page 432, Ron and Hermione have that blazing argument about going to the ball where she's like, well, you know the solution then. Next time, ask me and not as a last resort. So 
Mm-hmm. With that, I'll turn it to you, and you can you can take the next ones from there. Yeah, man. Uh, the next one I have is so this is chapter twenty four, Rita Skeeters. Uh, scoop. These are actually just my last two, so I'll be able to let you just take it from here, man. Um, so Crumb, of course, we mentioned like he was like diving into the ocean. That's a, a foreshadow for you know the second task, I would say. Um, and then the other one is Hagrid tells Harry, like we were saying, that he would love for him to win the tournament, which we mentioned that already. Uh, so those were just the last two I had, and I'll let you finish on up. Awesome. I've got a ton, but you know me. I'm busting mother effers out. (laughs) (laughs) So, page 433. Hermione surmised that Hagrid was a half giant, and he knew that he couldn't be a full giant because full giants are over 20 feet tall. For me, that foreshadowed next book. Uh, Mm -hmm. Page 441. Maybe she heard him telling Madame Maxime at the ball, said Hermione. We'd have seen her in the garden, though, replied Ron, talking about Rita Skeeter because that's when she gets that stuff about uh, Hagrid out in the... um, and the Daily Prophet, or the, the Witch Weekly, I'm sorry. And so that's when she said, you know, Ron's like, no, Rita Skeeter wasn't out there. We would have seen her. That's a foreshadow. 444, Ludo Bagman talking to the goblins in the Three Broomsticks. Page 446, Bagman tells Harry that Mr. Crouch says stop coming to work. That's a big foreshadow. Uh, page 446 uh, continued. This is a really important part, too, because this talks about uh, Bertha Jorkins. So he goes... Have you heard anything about Bertha Jorkins, Harry asked. No, said Bagman, looking strained again. I've got people looking, of course, and it's all very strange. She definitely arrived in Albania because she met her second cousin there. And then she left her cousin's house to go south and see an aunt, and it seems there she has vanished without a trace and root. So that, Bertha Jorkins, that's a big old foreshadow. 448, Fred and George try and corner Bagman at the Three Broomsticks. Foreshadow for their conflict. 451, Rita Skeeter says to Hermione, I know things about Ludo Bagman that would make your hair curl. Mm-hmm. So, well, remember, because also Winky said that about, you know, Ludo Bagman too, something here. So, page 466. Harry sees Bartimius Crouch on the Marauder's map in Snape's office. Huge foreshadow. <laughs> Maybe of the book, honestly. Yeah. Page 470. Professor Moody just happened to be in that area. Wonder why. Page 472. I'm going to read the second paragraph here. We're talking about uh, Dumbledore's trust. So, uh, this also, this is he goes, this is Mo- Professor Moody talking to Snape. He says, of course Dumbledore trusts you. He's a trusting man, isn't he? Believes in second chances. But me? I say there are spots that don't come off, Snape. Spots that never come off. Do you know what I mean? Ooh, that's a foreshadow. That's a foreshadow. gets my hair. That's a chilly. That's chilly, chilly. Um, 475 Potter he said slowly you didn't happen by any chance to see who broke into Snape's office did you on this map I mean uh, yeah I did Harry admitted it was Mr. Crouch that's that's crazy because then like you know do you think how much Madame Moody's like stomach probably sank to his bowels when Harry said he <laughs> saw Barty Crouch like you know in, in the office but then on page 476 this is the foreshadow that I was talking about way earlier where it says, uh, oh, if there's one thing I hate, this is Madame Moody speaking, if there's one thing I hate, he muttered more to himself than to Harry, and his magical eye was fixed on the left-hand corner of the map. It's a Death Eater who walked free. And we will find out why that is later. Now, Mm -hmm. page 477, Professor Moody asks to borrow the Marauder's map, 
that's a foreshadow because because he has that map, he is able to see things that are happening towards the end of this episode that we're going to discuss. Um, page 477, Mad-Eye Moody said, You ever thought of a career as an Auror Potter? No, said Harry, taking it back. Well, you want to consider it, Moody said back. And it's cool because what Harry ends up doing after school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then page 480 talks, this is about Ron. He's like, oh, Ron, said Hermione, shaking her head skeptically. We thought Snape was trying to kill Harry before, and it turned out he was saving Harry's life. I think that's a big foreshadow for the whole series, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, page 481, I'll talk a little bit about... Uh, I know about uh, the second paragraph here. I don't care what Moody says. Hermione went on. Dumbledore is not stupid. He was right to trust Hagrid and <laughs> Professor Lupin, even though loads of other people wouldn't have given him jobs. So why shouldn't he be right about Snape? Even if Snape is a bit evil, Ron prompted. But So I just think that that was a nice thing about Hermione saying Dumbledore has a good sense of who's good and who's bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. And then 41, just to continue on there, Harry's like, well, you know what? I just want to know what Snape did with his first chance if he's already on his second one. And that's a foreshadow of Snape's past that we learn about later on. So that's crazy. Uh, page 485, big old uh, foreshadow here, third paragraph. And that's actually, uh, that's with Hagrid. But you actually, you, you brought this up. I'm not going to say your thunder. You're the one that brought this up. Hagrid talking about how what he feels in his bones of who's going to win the Triwizard Tournament. He's like, I feel it. I feel it in my bones. So that's uh, that's foreshadow for sure. And then page 504, after the second task, you have a water beetle in your hair, Hermonini, said Victor Crumb. <laughs> that's right. So there's a water beetle in Hermione's hair after the uh, second task. So Page 506, Fleur swooped down on him too, speaking about Ron, and kissed him. And Hermione looked simply furious. That was the words it said there. That's a big foreshadow for them. I know we always talk about them a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Page 514. I'm going to read the third paragraph because that's a big foreshadow. He says, uh, He did say he'd never felt the same way about anyone else. Hermione went on, going so red now that Harry could almost feel the heat coming from her. But how could Rita Skeeter have heard him? She wasn't there. Or was she? Maybe she has an invisibility cloak. Maybe someone sneaked onto the grounds to watch the second task. So that was a thing about uh, Rita Skeeter, a little foreshadow there. Um, what you said uh, about Snape showing the Veritasierum. Veritasierum comes up bigger in this book. This book, mm-hmm. it's used on somebody, and all the truth comes out. And I'll just say that. <laughs> Page 519, Kakarov goes to see Snape in the middle of the class. All right, and this is like this on page 519. He, uh, this, the third paragraph goes down here. Well, do you see? He said, he's like, he pulls up the left hand sleeve of his robe to show Snape something on his inner forearm. Well, do you see? It's never been this clear, never since. Put it away, snarled Snape, his black eyes sweeping the classroom. That's a foreshadow of what's on their inner left arm, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm, 523. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, where it says, Hermione's telling Sirius about Winky. Uh, yes, at the World Cup, Winky... Was, so let me get this straight. First you saw the elf in the top box. She was saving a seat for Crouch, right? Right. 
But Crouch didn't turn up for the match. No, I think he'd been too busy. Sirius said, Harry, did you check your pockets before you, uh, for your wand after you left the top box? Uh, no. That's a foreshadow. So how that wand got into the other one's hand? Well, Sirius Black is a genius, man. He wasn't even yep. there, and he's already like Sherlock Holmesing this stuff. And that the last one I'll have, not, not for everything, but just for that moment with Sirius, he says, the elf wasn't the only one in that box. Yeah. That is the that foreshadow. Awesome. That was great. I've only got a couple more here. 527. We learn Crouch's son was caught with a group of Death Eaters trying to find Voldemort and return him to power. And Mr. Crouch sent his own son to Azkaban after a trial that was really only a formality that he mainly held so he could demonstrate how much he hated his son. So now we know a little bit about some other foreshadows here, but talking about Mr. Crouch's son, who at that time was no older than 19. Page 529. Sirius, talking about Crouch's son, says, <laughs> Did Crouch try and get his son off? Sirius let off a laugh that was much more like a bark. Crouch let his son off? I thought you had the measure of him, Hermione. Anything that threatened to tarnish his reputation had to go. He dedicated his whole life to becoming Minister of Magic. You saw him dismiss a devoted house elf because she associated with the Dark Mark again. Doesn't that tell you what he's like? Crouch's fatherly affection stretched just far enough to give him a trial, and by all accounts, it wasn't much more than an excuse to show how much he hated the boy. And so he's like, so he gave his own son to the Dementors? That's right, said Sirius, and he didn't look remotely amused now. I saw Dementors bring him in, watch them through the bars in my cell door. He can't have been more than 19. They took him to a cell near mine. He was screaming for his mother by nightfall. He went quiet a few days, though. They all go quiet in the end. And so he's still in Azkaban, Harry said? No. He's not in there anymore. He died about a year after they brought him in. He died? He wasn't the only one? Sirius said bitterly. Most go mad in there and plenty stop eating in the end. They all lose the will to live. You can always tell when death is coming because the Dementors could sense it and they got excited. And that boy looked pretty sickly when he arrived. And Crouch being an important ministry member, him and his wife were allowed a deathbed visit. That was the last time I saw Barty Crouch half carrying his wife past my cell. And she apparently herself died shortly afterwards from grief, wasted away just like the boy. Crouch never came for his son's body. The Dementors buried him outside the fortress. I watched them do it. Well, Sirius didn't know what he was watching. That uh, is a huge foreshadow there. Um, going on to page 532. The fourth paragraph in 532. Oh, second paragraph, I'm sorry. Dumbledore's trust for Snape. There's still the fact that Dumbledore trusts Snape, and I know Dumbledore trusts where a lot of people wouldn't, but I just can't let, and this is serious saying this, can't let him see uh, Snape teaching at Hogwarts if he ever worked for Voldemort. Well, guess what, Sirius? There's a little bit you don't know. Uh, going on to 533, fourth paragraph about Bertha Jorkins. Uh, so they might try to find out if you got any leads on Bertha while you're at it. Bagman told me they hadn't. Yes, he's quoted in the article, blustering about how bad Bertha's memory is. Well, maybe she's changed since I knew her, but Bertha was not forgetful at all. Quite the reverse. She was a bit dim, but she had an excellent memory for gossip, and it used to get her in a lot of trouble because she never knew when to keep her mouth shut. That's a big foreshadow for what happens with Bertha Jorkins. Page 537, the second to last paragraph here. Winky is not only doing housework for Mr. Crouch... Winky squeaked indignantly, swaying worse, ever slopping Butterbeer down her already stained blouse. Master is trusting Winky 
with the most important, the most secret, and then she wouldn't give up the rest, but that was a big foreshadow of some crazy stuff. Uh, page 544. Well, let's check, see how you've done. Count your coins, and there's no point in trying to steal any goyle. Uh, that's a leprechaun gold. Vanishes after a few hours. That's a foreshadow <laughs> for my favorite twins and what their issue was. Um, page 544, Ron won the contest and got an enormous slab of Honey Duke's chocolate. Uh, that actually wasn't a foreshadow. That should have been in my favorite moments. But <laughs> page uh, page 546, Making this is what Hermione said. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. No, uh, in page 546. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I, I guess I wrote that, that one in the wrong area. I'm usually pretty good about that, but I guess I messed that one up. But, um, they were one for one, man. I had the floor decor thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you had that one, so we're even. Good stuff. Yep. And then uh, page 546 is Hermione talking about Rita Skeeter. I'll get her back for this if it's the last thing I do. Page 547. Harry says, maybe she had you bugged. That's a little funny foreshadow, yeah. even though he doesn't mean it like that. Um, page 555, Crouch begs to see Dumbledore. Now, this is this is some of the foreshadow that I have to read all the way through because this is some of the big mm-hmm. stuff. So, I need to see Dumbledore. Okay, said Harry. If you get up, Mr. Crouch, we can go there. No, I've done a stupid thing, he breathed. He looked utterly mad. His eyes were rolling and bulging, and a trickle of spittle was sliding down his chin. Every word he spoke seemed to cost him terrible effort. Must tell Dumbledore. Get up, Mr. Crouch. Get up. I'll take you to Dumbledore. And then he looks up. He's like, who are you? He's like, I'm a student at the school. Looking around for Crumb for some help, but Crumb was hanging back, looking extremely nervous. You're not his, whispered Crouch's mouth sagging. No, without the faintest idea what Crouch was talking about. Dumbledore's? That's right. Crouch was pulling him closer. Harry tried to loosen Crouch's grip on his robes, but it was too powerful. Warn Dumbledore. I'll get Dumbledore if you let go of me, said Harry. Just let me go, Mr. Crouch. I'll get him. Thank you, Weatherby. When you've done that, I would like a cup of tea. My wife and son will be arriving shortly. We are attending a concert tonight with Mr. and Mrs. Fudge. Mr. Crouch was now again talking fluently to the tree and seemed completely unaware that Harry was there. Um, But then he he goes to leave and Mr. Crouch screams, Don't leave me, he whispered, his eyes bulging again. I escaped. Must warn, must tell, see Dumbledore, my fault, all my fault, Bertha, dead, all my fault, my son, my fault, tell Dumbledore, Harry Potter, the Dark Lord, stronger, Harry Potter. Those are all really big foreshadows of what's to come. Yeah, those are huge. Now, in page 556, no, that's the one I did there, Uh, and then that's when they return with with uh, Dumbledore and Snape, and Moody just happens to conveniently already be there uh, when they return. And that was my last foreshadow that I have for that book. So that finishes up foreshadowed events. We'll move right into possible plot holes and discrepancies. Do you have any that you notated? I only had two that I saw. I only had one, and it's not even really a plot hole. It's more of like a question for like, how could this happen? So for the second task, I know like, you know, McGonagall held Harry and Ron back. Like, as far as, like, remember there was that small section, little paragraph in the book where Ron was telling the story about how, like, the Mer people, like, like, held him down and brought him into the water. So, like, 
<laughs> did McGonagall like hold them back and explain to them like we're gonna throw you to these savage creatures like how did that occur like how <clears throat> are they just they just appear there is it like a apparition spell or they volunteer for it like it doesn't really ever explain that and like how they're in the water like I know they're in the water with like you know I, where they can breathe right but as far as like how that comes about, like we just toss you in the lake with these mer things to attack you and steal you, like I just don't see that going over too well or someone well, wanting to volunteer for that. Yeah, I mean, so that was Ron embellishing the story, right? So they they yeah. said exactly like what ends up happening, like like um, when these these said I guess I can read the uh, the thing right after the second task because it's it's the beginning page of Padfoot yeah. Returns. But he said, um, so the, uh, Hermione's story, anyways, Dumbledore had to pull all the hostages into a bewitched sleep in Professor McGonagall's office, first assuring them that they would be quite safe and would wake up wake up when they were back above the water. So maybe they didn't even mention anything about the mermen. He, they just said, hey, we're going to put you into a sleep. Champion's got to come find you, and then you'll be good. I'm assuming gotcha. that's what happened. Like, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I wonder how that went down. Like, hey, maybe you'll get extra credit if you do this. That's like, a good point. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really good question. Yeah, like that makes sense. So that was just, a, I mean, I really couldn't find any plot holes with this book. I thought it was really good for what we read so far, of course. Uh, I only had two, man. And the first one I already talked about earlier was about the summoning charm when he, like, what he just perfected to get the Marauder's map instead of giving it to Moody there. But, like, I know she had to, like, build the suspense and jaw it up, but it's like, Harry, if it wasn't something Harry had just worked on, it would make sense. But, dude, he's just spent, like, a good week learning how to do a summoning charm to perfection where he was able to get his firebolt from his dorm window off to the grounds to go against the Hungarian Horntail. So if he can get that, like, he can go Accio map and it will come to him. Like, <laughs> right, like I just, exactly. I thought that was yeah. silly how he just, like, I tried to wipe it, but I couldn't reach it. Well, okay, idiot. Like, get it to yourself, right? Are you a witch yeah. or not? Or a wizard or not, right? Then page 469, this is just a misprint by the publishing company. This has nothing to do with the actual uh, store, or um, it's the story. If you look on page 469, the very first sentence up there, so I'll read the whole sentence that starts on page 468 to get into 469. It says, Filch started to climb the stairs, his scrawny dust-colored cat at his heels. Mrs. Norris's lamp-like eyes, so very like her master's, were fixed directly upon Harry. He had had occasion before now to wonder whether the invisibility cloak worked on cats. That's wrong. Yeah, and people can say had had, that's fine. But if it was supposed to be had had, it would be occasions, plural, yeah. with an S at the end. It says he had had occasion before now. <laughs> so there was just yeah. a typo that the publishing company missed. And that's on page 469, chapter 25, The Egg in the Eye, for anyone that wants to verify that information. Now, yeah, that's in Oh, sorry, not to interrupt you. There. Oh, that's I just it. was going to say, that's interesting you said that, because like on some of these old first editions that I have, I find stuff like that in there all the time. Or there might be something that was supposed to be, if you look it up, like, um, hey, they said this, if you type it in Google, and like mine will be like one word off on certain ones, so... Very interesting. But then if you look it up and you're like, oh, this book's got to be worth something, it's not worth anything, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> so, my luck. But, yeah, I'll let you keep going, man. That's it for my plot holes. 
I'm just going to get my interesting fact out of the way. We're back in interesting facts because I've got one. It's small, it's short, and then I'll let you cool. go on with yours. My interesting fact is about the Weird Sisters. A lot of people don't realize this. They are actually not sisters at all. They're not even female. Despite their name, all eight known members of the Weird Sisters were male. Uh, cool. Heathcote Barbary. Cool. Yeah, right? Uh, Heathcote Barbary was one of the members. He played the rhythm guitar. Gideon Crumb played bagpipes. Curly Duke played the lead guitar. Merton Graves played the cello. Orsino Thruston played the drums. Donegan Tremlett played the bass. Myron Wagtail was the lead singer. Herman Wintringham played the lute. And their best known songs were Do the Hippogriff, Magic Works, and This is the Night. That's and that's cool. your interesting that's awesome. facts about the Weird Sisters. <laughs> I really want to learn if there's like a line dance to do the hippogriff. That'd right? Like do the Dougie. Like, like, like you know, yeah. do the <laughs> do John the Wall. <laughs> do the John Wall. Yeah. John Wall. Yeah, man. That's old school. That's good so, stuff. So that's all I've got for interesting facts. I'll let you finish up with what you got for interesting facts. And then we'll, we'll close us up for today. Yeah, man. Not too much here. Um, just jumping into some fun stuff. So Boris the Bewildered, that's mentioned a lot. So I looked it up. I thought there would be like some big history on him or something because there's portraits about him everywhere. There's really not. The only history on this guy is uh, so that he has a statue on the fifth floor of the Hogwarts castle and in the prefect's bathroom. He also has a statue uh, that features a lost wizard um, that's standing next to him in the gloves are actually um, on the wrong hands for like, so if you had a left glove, it's on the right hand and it's like backwards. So it doesn't match the fingers, but those uh, statues can be found on the fifth floor of the Hogwarts castle in the prefect's bathroom. He also does have a portrait that is hung uh, above one of the secret passageways. Uh, This secret passageway is the one on the second floor corridor corridor. And there's one also on the third floor corridor. Um, kind of jumping into this, this is like the big one going on is the history of like giants. And, um, what's really cool is I do have the information on Hagrid's mom that you don't get to hear about. So, um, giants, uh, it is true. They kind of have been moving out of Europe, which is where like Hogwarts is located. So actually interesting enough, starting in 1920s, they actually started migrating to North America and a lot of the ones left because uh, it's very few that are left are actually found in um, North American mountains. So actually uh, like Georgia, where I'm from, Canada, uh, we haven't found any Florida, but I'm sure there's some up in New York, man, <laughs> up there somewhere. Um, giants can grow up to 25 feet tall. Uh, giants actually generally live in tribes um, where they can also have beast features, so they don't have to look just like Hagrid. They'll look like Hagrid, but the biggest beast feature that happens a lot is they'll grow tusks out their mouths, or like their canines or molars will wind up sticking out of their lips, uh, almost like an ogre kind of thing. Um, the giant tribe, actually, uh, to lead a giant tribe, almost like, I guess, like their president or king, uh, this goes into how Ron was talking about how savage they are. You can actually challenge the giant king 
Um, and the way it works is if they kill you because they fight to the death, then that takes over the tribe. Like, there's no go- voting, no negotiations. That's just the way it is. Um, the first one to do this was actually Gerg, um, who ironically uh, became, ironically, it was actually a, a Death Eater follower. Um, he was a little bit earlier than like the whole Voldemort era, but he actually had even said is like was noted by um, the uh, uh, the Wizard um, Confederation because he was so known for causing problems. Um, also, uh, uh, giants. Uh, there's only been one exception for one, like one notable exception for one being so small. That's a big mention. Is in 1931. It was born, we get a little bit into this foreshadowing, Order of the Phoenix kind of thing. There's a pure blood giant that we did speak about a little bit, not much, called Grompy, uh, that we'll get into a little bit. But uh, Hagrid's mom is Frid Wolfa, that was mentioned by Rita Skeeter. Um, she was born in 1928, deserted Hagrid when he was three years old. Uh, she deserted Rubius because of his small size. Um, she also, Groppy, that I just mentioned, is actually Hagrid's half-brother, deserted him as well. Um, giants uh, do have their own language. They can use magic, but most of them are not known as being as smart as wizards. They generally speak in short sentences in conversation and actually are known if the conversation is drawing uh, too far out, they'll just kill you mid-conversation because they don't feel like finishing it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty... Ron's right. They're pretty savage. Um, uh, and then uh, Gurge, um, as far as like what I was saying, so if you take over like the um, tribe, right, just always know like how that Gurge guy did. Like that doesn't mean you keep the tribe. Like someone can always challenge you. Like it can be the next day and someone just kills you right there and that your tribe's done. Like you're, you're not there anymore. Um Actually, Golgamoth was known after this just happened, the day after it happened, um, that whole thing where they killed the guy's head off. This Golgamoth is famous because what he did was he was like, no one knew who he was, and then he cut his leader's head off, took over the tribe, took the helmet off the leader, and then wore it as a symbol of he'll, he'll always be the leader of that tribe, and no one challenged him ever after that. So that was insane. Um, uh, this is really cool. Kind of my last fact on giants. So they're known for creating speakeasies, like uh, clubs. Interesting enough, actually, the most famous one was created in America in the 1920s, and it's known as the Blind Pig. It's located on 124 McDougal Street, um, in New Orleans. It's actually a jazz speakeasy. And um, it's said it's most known for jazz house elves perform here and goblins have performed here. Um, also, uh, it has been known to where goblin gangsters and mafias to uh, group there. And uh, they do have things with like escorts they didn't mention, but we keep it clean on this uh, channel. Um, drinks you can get here, which is cool. It's called a low blaster cocktail. And then, of course, they have uh, gilly water. That's the only other thing. Um, there are a hundred different tribes of giants throughout history. 
The last few things I have is the Sleek Easy Potion. You know, Hermione mentioned that she slicked her hair up. Uh, Gomus Babardness, that's an ingredient. Asian Dragon Hair and Petroleum Jelly. You mix those together, that's where you get Sleek Easy uh, to shoot your hair up. Um, you mentioned unicorns. That was really cool. I just thought it was cool. They were native to Northern Europe, um, and they actually have golden hooves, so I thought it was kind of cool. I didn't know they had golden hooves. Um, uh, actually, too, uh, it actually is said that the tail of a unicorn is used in a lot of wands, which are known as supreme cores. Um, they're fast enough to outrun werewolves. Um, and then the tail of hairs of unicorns aren't just used in wands. They're used in bandages. And, of course, we know what their blood does, right? Um, Aberforth Dumbledore, just a few facts on him. Born in 1883. Um, is a half-blood. Of course, he's the younger brother of Albus. Attended Hogwarts 1895 to 1902. Uh, Aberforth's father died in Azkaban, actually, when he was sentenced uh, for prison for attacking three muggles. Um, he was the owner of Hogshead at the time and Hogsmeade at one point. And then, of course, you know he stepped down from that um, and is a original member of the order of the phoenix which we'll talk later much later um but uh yeah he actually always blamed albus for the death of his sister next couple things and we're done love potion has ashwinder eggs rose thorns peppermints powder moonstone pearl dust and rose petals um witch sharpening potion to make you smarter uh you would have ground scar beetles in there cut ginger roots armadillo uh, armadillo bile and newt spleens and then the last thing here is the say it the truth serum veritasierum 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 uh, potion uh, actually a lot of the ingredients because it was really the only person known to really use it all the time <laughs> well not all the time but really recorded using it is Snape and he invented most of these ingredients so the only one that's really known is jobber knoll feathers. Um, it and it takes one full lunar phase to brew, um, and it's clear and odorless. And uh, yeah, that's all my interesting facts for today. That's awesome because Veritas Serum, like it plays a big role in discovering the events that led through this entire Goblet of Fire thing when the big reveal happens later. So. That's a really important one. So I'm glad that it didn't seem like there was a lot of information about the Veritas serum. So it's not. That's yeah. awesome. It's like it's like a secret still. It's like you know you knew one of the ingredients, but you know not many people know how to make it. It's like a coveted secret. But that's awesome, man. I mean, really, that really wraps us up for what we've accomplished today. You know, we told, we tackled chapters 22 uh, all the way through 28, right? So that's we've got. Two more coming up next. We'll probably finish in the next two weeks. They'll finish Goblet Fire. Then we'll have our one episode for just the differences of the book and the movie. And then we'll be moving on to Chase's book <laughs> or the Phoenix. You know, it, it it feels like it's creeping up on us. The time is going fast, man. But uh, it is. We're we're yeah. almost we're almost there at the end of Goblet. We've got to two more, and uh, you know that we'll, we'll take the care of those the next two weeks. And then we got the differences, and then. Order is on deck, but uh, yeah, you know, man, yeah, stacks on deck. Order looks nice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and we can read Harry Potter all night, and baby, you can go whatever, <laughs> you, whatever like. you like. <laughs> yeah, 
and go and have whatever you like man you brought this up today so i gotta give you credit um order of the phoenix what is it like page 300 200 is like the exact halfway mark oh yes yes so let me let me explain the math to the people so i was thinking because i was about the books the number of books i was like man some part of goblet of fire has got to be the midway mid the exact midway point of the series for harry potter so i actually pulled out all the books i did the math on like the last page number that's shown i added them all up and there's 4,100 pages in the entire Harry Potter book series, American version, the ones that we have. And so what I did is 4,100 divided by two, split it in half, is 2,050. So if you take 2,050 from Sorcerer's Stone up and 2,050 from Deathly Hallows back, it leads on to page 231, which is Professor Umbridge, the chapter 12 in Order of Phoenix, Professor Umbridge. Page 231 in the Order of the Phoenix is the exact halfway point of the harry potter series so awesome so, so so that's the thing man and we're glad you know we still got a lot to look forward to because that's gonna be a moment when we finish oh, it. Yes. like that's gonna be not only just a shocker but we're like wow you know because we'll never this is actually like game of thrones at least we can be like you know we'll go into house of dragon or something like this is it we got to enjoy the ride while we can of this bad boy um and i'm just glad we keep to you keep going on that ride or die, man. And um, all to you guys out there, uh, thanks for being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. <laughs> we always say that, you know, we're Game of Thrones people. But, um, you know, always uh, leave a review, subscribe, uh, like us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're really interactive on both of those places. Um, I don't know much about TikTok. We're still trying to get on the TikTok thing, man um yeah and uh anything else you wanted to add to that jay nelly uh you know what not much at all other than just saying thanks again guys for following us along through because we know the harry potter series is going to take us a while but it's worth it because we're putting everything we got into it and there's no lack of detail as you can tell by the lengths of our episodes so thanks for sticking with us that's obviously something you guys are passionate about too that's why you come back every single week waiting on sunday at 8 45 a.m for <laughs> chase and josh to drop so with that being said, you ready for me to break us down, brother? Break it down, man. <laughs> All break right, man. I mean, by this point, I feel like everyone should know how this goes, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and continue on the tradition because, you know, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. Signing off.